today. Steve Chish, Stephen Chish, about to be Dr. Stephen Chish of a uh, nuclear engineering degree in detection at OSU. But uh, today, actually, we're going to talk a little bit about the education system as a whole and just kind of see where it goes from there. All um, right. Yeah, so I guess you're about to get your PhD. Uh, yeah, I am. And well, before I start, I want to thank you for having me on here. Yeah. Uh, glad to talk about my, uh, my stuff. Oh. So yes, I am at the end of pursuing my PhD or like I'm going to be finishing up by December. It is the end of July. So I got about four or five months left. Yeah. And how, so. how, how actually was getting a PhD different than your preconceptions of it before you went in? Well, it's hard for me to think about my personal preconceived perceptions of it. I, I don't know if I really had any. I just like... I mean, I'm sure you're like, I'll be more well-respected if I have a PhD. Like you see people like Dr. Blank, 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 and you oh, think of them okay. like, okay, that person, I, I trust what that person says more than someone who doesn't have that. I, I think I see what you're saying. I thought you were asking like the, the actual experience, like the day-to-day, -day, what was my no. preconceived notion of what it was going to be like? Because I have an answer to that too, yeah. at least for other people. But for me, um, as far as like, Getting the PhD and getting the DR dot in front of my name, being able to check that box when they ask Mr. Mrs. Doctor, check the doctor. Uh, like, I mean, I'm not there yet, so I can't 100% say, you know, oh, it was life changing. But from from my experience as a whole, it doesn't really make that much of a difference on the day to day. Re really, it never comes from the title so much as like the actual experience you hold. And when talking to the general public, uh, especially for doing something as contentious as nuclear, by and large, people are gonna either write you off or listen to what you have to say, regardless of if you have a PhD or a master's or a bachelor's or whatever. If you've pursued nuclear engineering, I found that people are probably going to already know what they're gonna think of you yeah. or what they're gonna say to you. But in the field, um, it doesn't matter that I don't have a PhD yet. It doesn't matter that if I do have a PhD, what matters is the fact that I know what I know due to my time in school and due to pursuing this. Uh, if someone just invested a bunch of time into nuclear engineering, but they didn't go to school for it, what would you think of them as someone in the field? Ooh. You, say you're in a position of hiring someone. Mm -hmm. Would you look at someone with a PhD versus someone who knew the exact same thing without a PhD? Would you look at them differently? I can't see how they would possibly know the same things with a PhD and the reason without a PhD yeah. and the reason why and this goes back to like preconceived notions and what people might think about the experience of grad school versus not is uh, so the the other day uh, I'm gonna break in an anecdote no, yeah, here uh, <laughs> my, the other day I, I guess my girlfriend was riding up to Salem. Oregon to see some family and her grandma was in the car and I was brought up and Tori my girlfriend was saying like oh yes you know sometimes Steve will run into issues with while he's working and um, it will be outside of his knowledge pool as of now and uh, he'll have to ask his advisor to weigh in. And my advisor knows a lot more about electronics than I do. Like I pursue nuclear engineering, but my job also has a lot of electronics. My advisor is much more professional in the electronic side of things. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a side that 
you know, there's a whole PhD in that right there yeah. that I'm not pursuing, but he knows. And so she, she mentioned, okay, he has, he's having some issues with that. And her grandma was like, he's almost done with school. How doesn't he, shouldn't he be able to do anything? And it's like, that's not exactly how that works. Yeah. Uh, one, the field that I'm pursuing is very wide. And so like when you do a PhD, you're pursuing one thing extremely intently and you you learn a lot of things along the way but like there's always more that you learn and this is actually a relatively paralyzing thing sometimes because like my advisor has told me like hey you should present on this and i'm like i don't feel comfortable with this like i just am investigating this i don't really know enough i haven't read enough statistics textbooks and he's like that's what research is <laughs> you you present and then you learn more and you present and you learn more and and so on uh and so like grad school as a whole is an experience of of learning on the job and learning with textbooks and m most importantly in my opinion you're being presented you're, you're being surrounded by people who are experts in the field that you are working in and so like i work in radiation detection and so my advisor is an expert in radiation detection and electronics. And so if I have issues with these things, or, or if I'm observing things, and it's like, oh, I drew this conclusion from this data, and he can be like, no, that's not correct. Uh, it's this, and it's just that, so it's like, it's like you have a, a private mentor who can see everything that you're doing and, and giving you immediate feedback. It's like trying, I guess having someone who knows as much about nuclear engineering without having a PhD, if, if they've learned it from books or something like that, or learned it just by screwing around on their own, then it, it would be like trying to learn a language just by using textbooks and listening to audio and doing the Duolingo app. Yeah, so you really uh, need a mentor. Yes, and so like what I'm doing is like basically having some exposure, uh, some immersion exposure, and having a language tutor, like yeah. to draw the, that parallel. And then someone who's just learned all of their stuff in the field, mm -hmm. it's like someone who learned the language through complete immersion. And so mm -hmm. it's like, the, the where I'm at, I have a deeper understanding of like the fundamental, the background, and a lot of things I have learned on the job, I know what they are, I know how they work, but I don't know why they work. And that's, the, that's where the PhD training, the actual, you know, oh, why does this work? I really have to know for my project. And so I have to go read papers for like two dozen hours. Uh, and so like, I feel like that's a sort of misunderstanding that people have about the PhD and the grad school in general is they think it's just like a continuation of school. You know, a lot of people, they've just experienced high school or they've just experienced an associate's or a bachelor's and their world's different from graduate school, which is much more uh, mentorship sort of situation that was a very very long-winded answer i'm pretty it sure was, I but so you don't have questions. any interest in keeping in academia and eventually bringing on your own mentees oh i do <laughs> i do um it's it's right now i don't let me think of how to put this let me think of how to put this here uh Going back to like, oh, research is always a struggle of like knowing more things. Mm -hmm. I feel like I need to learn more before I can effectively teach to the best, to be the best me, mm -hmm. to be the best professor. You know, I'm taking in uh, 
you know, underlings, I'm, I'm training some people, and I can train people in procedures, and I can train people in things in, say, a national lab. But when you're a professor, you, you're teaching, and you're standing on committees, and you're truly a professional in what you do, but also you are finding research and working out how you're going to go about doing that research and directing other people also to do that research. And there's so much that needs to go into that. And like just watching my advisor do it, it's like the work that we're doing, he's pulling from so many different subfields and subspecialties. And it's like, I don't know if at this moment I have enough to offer to be a good professor. Cause you also have to understand that like when you're a professor, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different politics that goes on with that. So like if you're in a national lab, you get so much different funding compared to like being a professor, you have to write grants. Usually the grants are smaller. And so your, your projects are much more smaller. So what's scope. it all about for you? What, what do you want? What do I want? With this, what, 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 what is your progression and what's, What's the goal with that progression? Like, uh, do you want to further the knowledge of nuclear engineering? Like if I'm, this is going to be really roundabout with like 20 answers that you need to say. So I'm just a, an average <laughs> ass person. And I'm like, oh, you do nuclear engineering? Uh, what about Chernobyl? And just like, just like I, f I imagine most conversations you come at, people just have an automatic preconception that just progresses it from even getting to a place where you can have a conversation. Like the, the conversation can't even start because of preconceptions. Uh-huh. So do you have any interest in like breaking that down for people of just like, hey, it's not just about X, Y, and Z? As far as what drives me, uh, no, that doesn't drive me. But I have a responsibility to do those things to some degree. Uh, if the, the current, I suppose, social and political climate is emotionally and mentally draining and taxing and sometimes it's very frustrating in the sense of like how am I going to convince people of anything you know and people are only going to listen to what they want to listen to they're only going to hear what they want to hear and so if someone really truly is curious or if someone has no preconceived notions I can show them a world that they've never really thought about and uh that's really nice that I have that I have the ability to do that, but also that I have the obligation to do that. Um, but, like, in terms of what drives me, uh, I, I just want to know as much as I can. I want to know as much as I can, and I want to go in and do things, and, like, the things that I do, it's like solving little physics puzzles all the time. You know, what are these physics doing? And I have to go in there and try to figure out you know, how is nature behaving and sort of try to, I don't know, exploit that uh, to learn more, try to learn from nature. What is nature trying to show me? And it's not so clear as like, oh, I'm going to tip this glass over and like water's going to spill out. Okay, well, that's very obvious. But like, you know, the things that are going on in a nuclear level, you can definitely infer information, but like the data that you get sometimes is a C and you have no idea you know, how, what's going on. And so the, that is very interesting to me. And, and so and, what's your goal with getting that knowledge? Do you want to, you don't want to share it with others. Do you want to like make a new, like, would you, would you say you want to progress the field? Well, I, I would definitely not say I don't want to share it with others. But that's not I, your calling per se. I, I don't, it, it's not about 
educating, like my, my goal in life isn't so that I learn these things so I can better educate the public. Mm -hmm. Uh, I suppose my, my goals are, I find this field amazingly interesting and I want to know what else is there. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm very lucky that the topic that I'm interested in can have positive impacts by, you know, almost by, uh, as a byproduct. It's like by learning these things and by discovering these things and by doing these things, um, it can enrich science or it can, it can make, allow people to use this knowledge for, for other things, uh, for better things, building things, designing things and so on. And I like to do those things too. Uh, but only so far as, that design and all that utilizes the things that are very interesting to me, which is really like the fundamental physics exploration. And I mean, I also like, you know, constructing and characterizing things and, and, um, you know, working with electronics a little bit and that sort of thing. If you think about how much time and energy you spent into learning just your piece of the puzzle, and if anything, the further you get, you probably just realize, oh shit, I know nothing. Oh yeah. Because every single field goes this deep. Do you think that when eventually we can kind of like share and have a hive mind that it'll help tremendously? Because all that you've learned in that field, like you could never just like bring on a mentor and teach it all to them in the amount of, in like a year, it'd take as long, it'd take like years for them to get up to where you are. So if you could just share that with people across the field and communication wasn't a barrier, like preconceptions and basing your actions off fear and stuff, like. Basing, that, basing your actions off fear. Like. What, what do you mean like exactly? The job you pick. You want to go uh -huh. into a career that's safe because you're afraid of being homeless. You don't wear something like, I mean, you do, but like a lot of people like won't, wouldn't wear pink because they're afraid that of what people might think about them or like, uh -huh. like the majority of the actions I think that people make, like, so there's probably two big ones, either avoiding things that you're afraid of or going toward things that bring, bring you pleasure. And I think it's more, right now it's, it's we, like probably 70 or 80% are on avoiding fear. Like we're in a very, like everything you hear on the news is pretty much just things to be afraid of, things to not do, things to avoid. Well, yes, because it's... Would you ever read a book that's about, like, someone going to the store and, like, getting the food that they want and then going home and, like, you know, enjoying time with their family and then, like, going on a vacation and everything works well and that's the end of the book? That's not interesting. Yeah. That's not exciting. What's exciting, what, it's, it's all about the tension and the release, the tension and the release. And the tension is what's exciting to people. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always a climax to things. And so like, you know, it, there is some news where it's like, oh yeah, like this puppy was found and it was like in a sad condition and then like it, it was, cured and everything is happy and it's like oh that's really nice but like if all the news was like that it would cease to be impactful and like sometimes we actually see that in the news itself where like as it is where it's like you know oh did you know that such and such uh political official did some sort of like sexual assault offense and it's like oh must be a tuesday like isn't that horrible isn't that horrible like that certain comments can be made by certain people and everyone's outraged for two days and then like oh wait that happened like two days ago like it's it's done it's over yeah. uh and so like I don't know if the news is a particularly good representation of how we actually live our lives because how we actually live our lives is we do seek 
pleasure and comfort and this and that. And like, I, I also think it depends on where you're at at yeah. the time. Because yes. if I like, you know, having seen situations where people are dead broke, it's like, how much do you have in your savings account? And it's like, what is a savings account? Yeah. They'd have no money. And I'm totally not right there. Right yeah, now. It, it's, it's, I mean, that's like absolutely terrifying. And so like in your actions, what are you doing? You're avoiding the fear. You're avoiding. But you're further than that, people with, with decent families and stuff the, who don't eat, like maybe you do have interest in, in nuclear engineering, but someone who uh -huh. doesn't have interest yeah. in engineering and stuff, like they're like, oh, I did it because my parents said so. But really it's because they're afraid of not being something or being seen as well in society or not having enough like like if you if you don't like doing math all the time but you go become an engineer getting an engineering degree i imagine it's not like out of like a i see what you're play. saying you know like you, you make the, like a lot of your life decisions like you don't decide to be afraid of spiders and bees yeah. and stuff but when you see one you avoid it and like that's totally rational but like that spider can't kill you and that bee sting wasn't you know like we avoid things that are that causes fear so are you implying that we're phobic of whatever that is yeah i think society has instilled false morals of us to be afraid like the, pretty much everything we hear today is just propaganda of things to be afraid of i i think i agree and i disagree um you know i think that fear sells you know, ask your doctor, ask your doctor, ask your doctor yeah. about this problem that you may or may not have. And it's like, oh, wow, you know, I might have that problem. Mm -hmm. I better go check. Uh, well, did I, you see that? Did you saw, see both of those videos? Yes, I did. The one where it's and, like the main yes, drug is, that's yes. insane. Ask your doctor. And, and yeah, it's like it, fear sells because you don't, you, why would you buy things if you're satisfied? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you want to buy things because you most of the time, not always, but most of the time, you buy things to fix a problem. Mm -hmm. And whether that problem is, you know, I'm sad, I want to be happy, or, you know, I don't like the color of my room, so I'm going to paint it a different one, so I'm going to get paint. And it's easy for people to manufacture problems. It's very hard to sell something like, you're perfectly satisfied with your life, but don't you really want a new cup? And mm -hmm. even then, they... they still have to don't you not like your old cup but but, but even like, further than that like there are some things that you can't talk about today because you're afraid of it affecting your future yeah and like if you were to go meet your girlfriend's parents for the first time and say they're like super conservative people and you wore pink you probably wouldn't wear pink because you'd be afraid of the way that they'd perceive you so a lot of yeah i see what you're saying you know just like uh, yes but then there's totally is like i want to eat sugar like i want pleasure that's totally yeah, totally yeah. a part well, of it well in terms of like Going back to, you said, okay, the engineering, like someone who might not like math goes into engineering because they're afraid of not amounting to something or they're afraid of this or they're afraid of that. And I don't know if that's entirely true. So I guess I, when I took my standardized tests back in high school, yeah. I wrote that I wanted to be an English major and I am chronically displaced in the sense that I like a lot of things all the time. Uh, and those things often hop around. And so at the time I was like, oh, I'm going to be an English major, but I've always really liked science. But do so, you not go to become an English major because you were scared that it wouldn't pay? I mean, absolutely. Yes. That's so part of it. You That's made, part you of changed, it. You based your entire life off a of fear-based decision. No, okay. because I also really like physics and engineering. It, not, not so, honestly, 
I don't really like designing things as much as I like just knowing how they work. And so I really should have gone into physics. And this is where it comes in, yeah. your, okay. your idea, right. where instead of doing physics, I got accepted to University of Michigan, which is the number one nuclear engineering school in the country uh, and possibly the world. And so it was like, well, one, I would be foolish to not take this opportunity. But two, um, engineering at least in my, at the time, I was under the impression, I still think I believe this, that a bachelor's degree in engineering is probably going to be more lucrative than a bachelor's, bleh, bachelor's degree in physics. Um, if you want to go, oh God, yes. But like, I mean, I had already kind of made that decision that I wasn't going to go into English because I knew that English was not, uh, English was profitable not- Profitable in the current system. Profitable in the current system, but like- But at what point is putting your- what you enjoy spending your time on hold to do something else worth it. Like, like, are you pursuing this so that eventually one day you can write or what? No. You just gave up writing. It's just, wasn't no, that's you. not, that's not it either. It's every, there are very, very few people who are so focused single-mindedly on one thing. And part of me envies those people. Where Didn't it's you like, just say that that's what a PhD program was? No. That's you pursue one thing, yeah. but some people are, that's their whole life. And I know some people like that and they are amazingly successful people like in my field, like that's what it takes to become the top of your field is you need to, you know, wake up in the morning and do nuclear and then do nuclear while you're eating dinner, read papers, you know, all the time and i think maybe you take a vacation sometimes my advisor told me point blank he looked me in the eye he's like i haven't taken a vacation in 11 years he'll go and see family and whatnot for brief periods but he until last year he hadn't taken an extended vacation for 11 years and like he told me also he's like i've been working until 11 o'clock every night for the past two months like working for this this workshop that i'm giving and it's like wow like that's that's what it takes. Mm -hmm. And um, like the PhD is just pursuing one topic, one, one contribution to the scientific community. Um, and it pulls in a bunch of other things as well, but like it's not the single-minded focus that is necessary to be the absolute top of your field. But, but when it comes to deciding what you want to do with your life, I think that it is reckless to just pursue exactly what you want to do without seriously considering the impacts that it will have on your future and your life. And I don't actually think that's a sad thing either. I could eat blackberries all day because I like wild blackberries and I will probably eat them until I throw up, yeah. but I'm not going to do that because I don't want to throw up. And my body automatically is like, no, and so my body is smarter than I am in the sense that it will tell me, that, you know, that's maybe not a, a good idea, but our brains will still tell us, okay, let's like, my body will tell me realistically, you cannot eat this many blue blackberries because if you do, you will be sick and it will stop me by making me feel sick before I actually am sick. But like your brain won't tell you like, maybe you shouldn't like pursue this career that is actually not a good idea. You'll just do it and then you'll be in the situation and be like, crap, that was not a good idea. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have to like... Are you there? You're not there. No, because I picked, I'm, I'm, I am fortunate because I am interested in something that is largely transferable 
and is rather lucrative. If you couldn't make money off this, would you stay on this path? Money stopped being a thing tomorrow. Ooh, that's a great question. Would you stay on this path or would you start writing? <laughs> uh, for all the work that I put into it? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's a really good question. I would probably, realistically, I would probably look at, and this is what got me into nuclear engineering in the first place, really, was it's like nuclear engineering is the most like physics. And then when I got into grad school, I wanted to go to grad school for, for fluids, actually. And I found out that radiation detection was more physics. And so mm. it's like, what is, what is something that is parallel to what I'm really interested in? Uh, but might not be exactly the mark. Give, give me the, give me the ninety percent. Yeah, you huh? can't make money on a physics degree. Uh, you can actually, but okay. I didn't know this at the time. You can make tons of money on a physics degree. A lot of people get a physics degree and then they go out and they work for like finance companies developing simulations mm -hmm. uh, and like software and modeling for like financial trends because everything runs on these derivatives uh, like DDX and like so on and, and like just these mathematical models. And as a physics student, you understand, you pick up skills, not just how does, you know, heat transfer work, but those equations of how heat transfer work is they're applicable in so many other cases. Yeah. And so that's what a lot of people find themselves doing. Uh, there was a postdoc that I worked with at a national lab. He was a postdoc in nuclear engineering and he got a job on Wall Street uh, working on software design and he is making tons of money now, I'm sure. But do you think so if he took the like, amount of time he spent in the past 20 years pursuing this? 20 years? Or How old do you think I am? <laughs> no, no, him, your, your, friend on, your friend on Wall Street. Or like, like I guess oh, okay. let's, let's use you for example. Your past year yeah. uh, of the time you spent working and contributing to whatever the, the machine that is society. Like you spent that time pursuing something that's close to what you want, but not exactly what you want. But at what point does spending time now for dreams of a, that you'll get to spend your time in the future how you want, at what time is, at what point is that not worth it? Like... And I think the point that that becomes not worth it is when you're doing something that you don't want to be doing. Okay. Uh, I think, and again, I, I, I am, it's hard to say because I'm not in a position where it's like, you know, interior design or journalism or something, these degrees that unfortunately don't have very many job prospects. Mm -hmm. uh, you... I don't know how those skills are transferable, but if I can look at what is interesting to me about physics and I can see where I can get that in other places and I can pursue those and not be heartbroken. You know, I don't think I'm going to get to the end of my life and go, ah, gee, I wish I had pursued a physics degree instead because I think my life is rich in what I'm doing. And I think that if you put your... You, at least for me, when I put my mind into things and they're stimulating and like... You know, it, approaching new problems, you have a similar approach every time. You get in, you have no idea what's going on. You see what knowledge you do have, how it applies to the problem, and what you're lacking in. You go and you find new things, rinse and repeat, and basically troubleshoot until you understand the problem. And that's a, that's a sort of process that is interesting in many, many places, and including physics and including what I'm doing. And so it's like, you know, the, the big picture is very interesting, but the small picture of what you're doing on a day-to-day -day is also very interesting. And like, I talked to my girlfriend who is, she got her degree in German, but now she's pursuing accounting. And like, 
I've talked to her about what is, you know, why accounting? Like, honestly, it's, at least to me, it's not the most glamorous and it's not the most interesting thing in the world. Calling out your girlfriend on TV. I'm oh, kidding. I mean, like, she's... <laughs> You'll I've, get around to it. I've talked to her about it and <laughs> she's like, yeah, but, like, I had a feeling I knew what was so interesting to her about it because it's like she goes in and she just solves puzzles mm -hmm. all day. Why is this number not what it should be? Now I have to go track down what's causing this number. Her boss used to be a forensic accountant where like you go in and you see, you look at accounts that look normal and you try to find where there's a bug and trace back, you know, how are people laundering money or this sort of thing. And just like that sort of puzzle solving, you know, the glamour of the whole field of physics is is desirable to me and the glamour of nuclear engineering might not be as desirable to me but the the day-to-day -day is still very desirable to me and but so more applicable to the world we're living in yes and so it's like it it's a sort of you know i'm sure that tori would much rather be actually just doing puzzles all day but <laughs> but like her work gives her that while also being applicable and also earning her, you know, mm -hmm. bread on the table. And so what's appealing to physics for you? Not to completely throw it off. I mean, but you that's said not that. completely throwing it off. What's appealing to physics is, I mean, it's like, you know, why, why it's like, that's, that's the question that's driven me my whole life for everything that I, I am. You asked me a long time ago where it's like, what is your, what is your reason to be basically? Mm -hmm. And like, I said, oh, I didn't have one. And like, you know, that's still mostly true. I don't have one reason, but like, if I had to pick one, it would be why? Like asking how and why do things do what they do and just trying to learn and understand everything I can. And like, I have no idea why some things are more interesting to me than others. I don't know why it's more interesting to me how, you know, how atoms decay in a certain way, you know, what forces are going on in there. I don't know why that's more interesting to me than like, how does this plant sprout its leaves, which is also interesting to me. Uh, and like I said, my interests kind of go all over the place. And so sometimes I'm more interested in certain things than others, but like, uh, I don't know what makes people interested in what they are. I know that for me, what's interesting about physics is it's, it's asking why things work and, nuclear physics atomic physics atom nuclear engineering and all that is what is the building blocks it, and nuclear physics is very interesting because to me it's like it's the very small but there's also interplay with the very large you know nuclear fusion is what makes the sun go and i study stuff like fission and fusion and so it's like there is some applicability on the very small and the very large these crazy you know cosmologically big problems and issues and it's all sort of tied together in in physics and i mean physics is just why does this world work yeah. the way it does in the most basic sense and it's like wow so i want to come back to your thoughts on just energy and why why and like uh -huh. the, some maybe pet thoughts you've had on it but first off i want to go back to you said you have like sprouting off kind of interests and i think everyone does and the current education system, which is kind of what I want to talk to you today, doesn't really help people. Like more, of, I, th I think more of a Montessori system where it's like you get to kind of practice what you what you have interest in at the time would be a much better system. Like the current one, you go to school and a bell rings, you get up from your station, go to another station, like a factory worker, and your teacher's like, the bell goes off. The bell doesn't, 
let you go. I, I let you go for, to, to get you ready for your bosses saying, hey, you have to stay late today. It's pretty much just preparing your kid to go be a minion in the current system. Are you talking about high school or are you talking about college? College was the same for me. At least up until high school is that system. College was... A college, okay, you have some more of... I, guess, I don't know. Because cause coming from... I just graduated with a degree in kinesiology. And I guess to apply this, I don't know. Something when you were talking, I'm like, really what you learn about shapes the way you think. So whatever you spend more time... Like a physicist views the exact same thing that I see with a kinesiology degree completely different. I see how it applies to your human body physically and mentally, and he thinks how it applies to the universe, you know? So, so I guess we should give kids the option, like all the way up till 25, I'm still a kid, the option to learn what they want so they can change their approach at learning new things rather than, no, you have to read Lord of the Flies because the kid isn't going to do it. No one wants to do that. Except it doesn't matter. the kid matter. does it. The kid does do it. Did you? I didn't. I did. I read Lord of the Flies. It was pretty good. I don't know. I read a lot of books. They were pretty good. I don't know. The school, the educate. Do you think the education system is good as, as it is? I think everyone has a uh, a bone to pick with our education system. What would your bone to pick be? I mean, I think. I think that I'm not in education for a reason, at least not in high school education and middle school and elementary school and all that for a reason. And it's because there are certain problems that just aren't really stimulating to me. And this is probably one of them. Um, but I do think it's an issue that needs to be addressed. And I think that. What are some problems not, that are stimulating? Well, to you, the, t well I mean, <laughs> like freaking nuclear engineering problems. That's what's stimulating to me and a bunch of other things too. But that's beside the point. I'm not going to give you a laundry list right now, but uh, in terms of school and education, I think that you're right. They don't allow for creativity. I think that schools would benefit a lot more from pushing depth of thought as opposed to breadth of thought, learning how to think. Yes, and that's, that's what, I mean, to me, that's what college was, was yeah. a lot more about learning how to think and shaping how you think mm -hmm. than actually just learning things. That being said, holy cow, you still need to have some rote memorization in some things. Yeah. If you are living in this country, you should abso absolutely know, like, what the Civil War is. Mm -hmm. uh, I am of the opinion that there should be a, like, world religions course that is mandatory in high school and is taught completely... Uh, non-biased sort of way and just introducing you to the world's religions because like wow like how many people are religious in this world like six billion over six billion something like that like and some people don't actually know that you know god allah they're like the same thing <laughs> uh like that is inexcusable and you see so much fear and anger and frustration about these religious differences and it's like wouldn't it be nice if everyone actually like knew what these things like were like that that's pretty important but but in terms of like you know what should we be doing in college i think project-based things are a lot better than you know worksheets uh that and i think that reading books in English class, including Lord of the Flies, is a good thing. I think that you should read those things because I think it's introducing you to thoughts. And I think that the 
one could argue like, oh, why wouldn't you let the kids just read what they want to read? And it's like, because if you're trying to teach a certain process, like a certain way that the author is conveying ideas or a certain idea in general, and you can let kids pick whatever you want. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, but certain books just don't have that idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's, it's easier for the teacher to teach ideas when there's one book and everyone's on the same page. And you could then go and say like, oh, easier? Like that's what it comes down to? And it's like, yes, that is what it comes down to because in reality, we only have so many teachers for so many kids. Mm -hmm. And so you have to have some sort of common ground. But couldn't they just take out what you're learning from reading all of Lord of Flies and just distill it into like a couple probably a couple paragraphs, like 15 minutes. Most books, I, maybe there's some very, very complex, but okay, so if you take, what do you learn from Lord of Flies? Why are you making this podcast? Why don't you just take down what I'm saying and make a bullet pointed list and just give it to people to read? Ideally, that's kind of what it is. Like, like so, so you spent a long time developing these thoughts. Like each thought that you probably bring to this conversation is something that took weeks to months to develop. Yeah. And yet you can tell people in a, in a, in a very short amount of time. This is essentially my way of letting people who have de developed very specialized skills and thought patterns yeah. share it with people who haven't. So people with an open mind who wanna see how other people think can get an insight into, oh, that's an interesting way to think that I haven't thought about. It, it's, there's a lot to reading books that, I mean, it just, it goes beyond, you know, a bullet pointed list. There's. Yeah. One, there's a societal factor to it and a cultural factor and just like knowing the world around you and actually understanding things. I've said, you know, several times that I, I'm an omnivore uh, and honestly, sometimes it's like, man, maybe I should just like go vegetarian. Yeah, meat tastes good in a lot of things, but maybe I should just go vegetarian. But like there's so much culture and history in the preparation of certain types of food that I would just be barring myself from an entire societal it, that, that's been around since like the dawn of humanity. Like this is a huge part of our, our society. And so it's like, well, you know, I could give it up and that would be good. Probably that would honestly be good, but like, I don't want to miss out on that. Uh, and like, if you're, if you've never read, you know, certain snippets of the bible if you haven't read a couple of these classic novels that you know are referred to often you're missing out on a lot of things a lot of things are referenced and cross-referenced and add depth to just your like the bulk societal knowledge of things but not only that like some some things about the novels like you you gain more from it by actually watching things happen as opposed to just being told like you know you're gonna you're gonna get a lot more that from watching you know a season of the wire compared you to someone now. saying but you do now and i think people are projecting that that's how they learn onto kids when you're a kid and you watch a movie like maybe subconsciously you learn a little thing in there but you really like i mean there has to have been a book that you read as a kid and then you read it as an adult and you realized oh, I didn't even realize that there were like those themes and those messages in there because mm -hmm. they completely go over the head of kids. Kids aren't looking. They're just literally looking at it. It's like the most basic 
superficial story plot line. Yeah. Well, how do you learn to not do that? Time. I don't know. Well, I, I mean, this, like, is, this is this whole yes. thing is coming from the place that I mean, I wrote a book and I've written a couple screenplays. I really like storytelling uh-huh. as a way to convey ideas. Yeah. But by doing it, I realized this is not the best way of conveying ideas. If if since my more or less goal is, uh, dis, I don't know, uh, distributing knowledge to people who couldn't ordinarily get it, um, like very specialized, like like taking something that someone spends ten years learning. And like, obviously you can't learn all of the little meditations and things you've learned along the way, mm-hmm. but you can dispel a good amount of it in a couple hours, you know, maybe. And, well, I mean, that's, that's why good schools, good classes, well-structured classes, don't just have you read a book. They have you, they make you write a paper about a certain topic or a certain theme. And it makes you actually think about things. And this goes all the way back to like, you know, someone having a PhD versus someone not, but having the same knowledge. And it's like, I am of the opinion that school, a lot of the time, is about giving people accountability to demonstrate and apply the knowledge that they are learning. And, like, you know, I've read so many books. Do I write essays about the books that I read recreationally? Hell no. I haven't written an essay about a book since high school. Uh... I think you bring up a good point that it is about the writing, but the whole problem with that is that you get graded on it. So you're not writing it. You're not reading and writing an essay for to better understand it and learn lessons. You're doing it to technically pass. Like the whole, that is what really stops people from learning, I guess. But like your passing grade is demonstrating that you have learned something. I think it's a hoop. I, I, I'm someone who, I think we went through school and life very different ways. I saw school and life as one big hoop, and I didn't really learn that much from it, but I learned a lot outside of school. Like, that's why I learned most of everything I know to make this and stuff happen off YouTube, just these free yeah. resources that weren't... Yeah, and I mean, you're definitely going to learn more by pursuing things that you're actually interested in. And I actually, I am of the opinion that intelligence is just a byproduct of what you're interested in, you know? judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree and so on and so Mm -hmm. forth. But like, I am fortunate that I'm interested in math and physics and science because it lets me absorb the information much more readily than someone who is not. And it's like two South Pole magnets trying to put them together and it's like, they just repel off each other. Try to get me to understand insurance or taxes and they're so unbelievably boring. If you judge my intelligence by my ability to navigate taxes and uh, insurance, you would think I'm a moron uh i can do it but like oh man it's it's a pain uh but if you more specialized yeah yeah yeah. and um so i guess that's what i'm saying we should give kids the opportunity to specialize i think you're right i think i'm 100 percent in agreement with that but you know okay so you give a kid an opportunity to specialize but you also just said earlier that uh you, know, you should give kids the freedom to explore different things. And so it's like those are two... Freedom to spe- to pick what they specialize in. Like Yes, but okay. I dropped out of school for a year to make an album. I, yes. would, I wouldn't have continued it until I pursued that. Yeah. And then as soon as I got there, I'm like, All right, I definitely don't want this. This isn't the answer for me. But in, until you allow people to go through those different... Like along the way from birth till 25, you have so many things where I'm like, I think that's the, that that's the way that I'll most enjoy spending my time that'll drive the most meaning and you have to do it to figure out that it's not and i don't think we're giving youth the opportunity to do that yet i think a lot of 
I think a lot of what school is, and especially a lot of what school is becoming, but because there's a lot of changes, and if you especially look at the like the focus programs, which are somewhat gentrified, and that's a whole problem in and of itself, where you have problems with like IB and AP and so on and so forth, where you have these more project-focused, more intensive learning sessions, but they're directed towards students who are already there. Uh, so you do have some gentrification and issues with that, but... Um, what school is doing is it's giving you as much, uh, what's the word, as much autonomy over your future as it can, because it's not just, you know, from fifth grade to 12th grade teaching you math. Like there are some schools in other countries where it's like you find out in sixth grade that you're going to a certain route and that they're going to teach you a different way. And you are basically tracked from sixth grade to your death of going into a STEM field. What if I don't really want us to be in a STEM field? When I was a kid, I either wanted to be a scientist or a priest. Imagine, can you imagine if instead of going this route, I had been put on the track to be a priest? I think it would have changed the way that you view the, th the upcoming events so much that I think you wouldn't be like, man, I wish I went into a STEM field. Maybe you're I right. I think you'd be a completely different person. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But what I'm saying is like, the school gives you the opportunity to pursue things and people are going to screw up. And I think a bigger issue is that right now we're kind of telling people that you can do whatever you want. Uh, you can take out whatever loans you want. You can do this, you can do that. And then they've kind of gotten themselves into a hole. So it's like your, your freedom to choose whatever you want can sometimes be very problematic when you have people who are choosing to get their degrees in, I don't know, some... Who are you going to call out here? Liberal arts? Yeah, I was thinking that. Like, <laughs> yeah. who am I going to call? You know what? I'm going to call out basket weaving because no one basket there weaves as a career. And if they do, wow, I am so sorry I marginalized your field. Yeah. But let's Something say someone like that, goes and yeah. gets a degree in basket weaving and they get into $100,000 in debt by taking four years of basket weaving and get their basket weaving BS. Like, wow, now I'm, now I'm 22 and I have my BS in basket weaving and it's totally not applicable and I've honestly, I've found that it's not really that interesting to me, but now I'm stuck because I'm $100,000 in debt. I can't go bankrupt on student debt. If I die, my family gets the debt. And so what do I, what do, I do now? Sounds like you're projecting here, man. <laughs> I mean, I'm not projecting. I like what I do. And I mean, I am a little bit grouchy about the fact that I have almost six figures of debt myself, but I'm going to be able to pay that off. Uh, it's a strange idea. So I've actually started writing down, um, I mean, it could be called manifesto, but that has connotations to it. So I'm just calling it just, just so I haven't really named it yet, but I'm just writing down my thoughts of the current system. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and as it currently is, you, you, you get born, you go into an education system that I do think has merits. Like it lets you taste different things. Like you can taste chemistry and STEM and writing to see what you actually want to go into. And you found that you want to go into engineering, but I mean, whatever age you pick that at 18, that's way too young to pick what you want to invest a hundred grand and the next six years of your life into. I mean, you're right, but, but that sucks. Yeah. It because, sucks. but well, I mean, the thing is like, it sucks because when are you going to decide when you're 22? Okay. So let's shift it back to 22 now. Now let's shift everyone back to 22. I think that happens. I think people don't actually 
decide what route they're going in life often till 30s and 40s i think sometimes you shift i think sometimes you're right but i think a lot of times you're wrong at least for the people who go to college you're 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 not wrong and i think it is a problem when you have all this debt that you've built up that you have to work your way out of when you decide this wasn't for me uh but once you're 18 you're either you have to get supported by some way and you can either just go and work but that's four years of your life like it's like interest on things you know if if i put ten dollars in the bank now it's going to be worth more than if i put ten dollars in the bank in five years in five years right because interest it builds up and it pays on itself and so if I go and I invest my time now into becoming a professional, I'm going to have my entire working life of benefiting from being a professional and being able to apply my skills and learning more. And so it feeds into itself all the time. Uh, whereas if I don't start until I'm 25, right now, but I'm, I'm not going saying to people just dig around till they're 25. I'm saying we need uh, almost like part of our taxes need to go toward younger people to just support them so they don't have to work 40 hours a week supporting them. like just give them okay but you have to be pursuing goals like if you could have gotten a super introductory knowledge to what you're in and then been like oh i think i'm more interested in physics and then like one year in you could have changed completely your path to physics don't you think that would have been more beneficial than being like well you're kind of already on this path i mean people do that all the time yeah people do that all the time and that's fine uh i think that it's made very difficult by the by the crisis that is the student debt crisis. And I don't know how to fix that. And again, this is not a problem that I'm interested in uh, and I don't pursue it. And you know what? I think it's reckless for me to have any opinions about it, to be honest with you, because people have spent their entire lives researching these issues. And what am I, you know, scrawny guy in Oregon learning nuclear engineering, going to offer anything worthwhile to the student debt crisis? Because you're someone who just went through it. All the people currently looking at it probably aren't people who just graduated with a bunch of student debt. But I... You just lived through that. Yes. And this is true. Like, instead of being, like, asking historians, hey, what was, it, what was the Holocaust like? Like, there's some people who went through and lived in concentration camps. Don't you think they are also worth asking about it? Rather I think than they're the worth asking. I think they're worth asking, but that doesn't mean that they have a solution to the problem. No, not a solution. I'm just curious your thoughts yeah. on the whole process. I like, mean... I mean, it sucks. It yeah. sucks that I have like six figures of debt. I wish that I had gotten more, but the thing is, it's like, okay, well, my dad earned a significant, he busted his ass his whole life working 60, 70 hours a week at a blue collar job to be able to have the money to support us. And that meant that I didn't get any government aid because we earned too much as a family. Uh, and it's like, well, I don't earn too much. What if my parents didn't want to support me? It happened to a friend of mine. My his his dad was a software designer. He earned six figures. He didn't. His son didn't get any money. The dad's like, that sucks. And now my friend is in six figures of debt, and his dad won't give him a dime. And I mean, that's very very unfortunate. But how are you going to judge it? Because okay, you could judge it off the student's learn, earning potential, and it's like. Okay, well, no student has earning potential, or like 99% of students have no earning potential at the Minimum time. Minimum wage. So it's like, how do you determine how to distribute your your loans? Okay, well, not, well, let's just give the same amount to everyone. 
that because all the students are starting from basically the same place. Okay, but my dad actually can help me go to college. And, you know, someone else's family can't, like straight up can't, like can't even afford Wonder Bread. Like, how is that fair? And so it's like the best metric probably would be how much your parents are earning in terms of how we want to distribute this limited amount of money. There is also the economic problem of if you, and we're seeing it like, holy cow, so clear where you're giving people all of this money via loans and all of the schools are like, oh, everyone has more money. We can jack up our prices feeds into itself. And so that's why you've seen school prices go up like ridiculously high. And I don't know how to fix that problem. Some people will say, okay, just make the first two years of school free. And I don't know if that would fix the problem or not. It would certainly make it a flat rate where the schools couldn't really charge more because no one could go. But then that brings in questions of, well, what about my freedom? And I mean, you have that question in high schools and stuff for like charter schools and private schools and that sort of thing. What about my freedom? And you know, where do you draw the line between freedom and- But what is freedom without financial freedom? Until you have financial freedom, you are essentially indentured servitude. Well, like, I mean- Like, except, except you can go home at night. Or like, like, like you have some, okay, if you're a hundred grand in debt, you're more or less enslaved financially yeah, no, to I the mean, system. You are 100% correct. Uh, I agree with you. And so I think it's a shame that a lot of people don't understand this and they get themselves into very difficult positions and they have to live with their consequences of like, oh, I took out a bunch of money to do this thing and... I can't go bankrupt and I'm just utterly up, up the creek without a paddle. Like that totally sucks. I don't know how to help. Do you think lot. we should forgive those loans? I don't know what impacts it would have on our economy. True. So like morally, yes, I yeah, do. Uh, logically, probably. But like my logic is coming from a place that is not know the fine details. steeped in yeah. the banks and mm -hmm. steeped in this and steeped in that. It's like, there's a really interesting podcast that is put out by um, This American Life, the great big pool of money or pile of money or something like that about the housing crisis. And they talk about the housing crisis and the logic that actually went into how the housing crisis could have possibly happened. And it's really amazing how it happened and like it's just stuff that you wouldn't really think like wow this is how it works so many people don't actually know how finance works and like you know oh you want people to have the ability to get whatever loans they want and it's like okay well someone has to give those loans who gives the loans okay the banks how do you make it so that the banks can actually you know give those loans and then you have something like insurance and this is a huge one where it's just like i'm over here scratching my head because like Everyone wants to have insurance, and I agree that everyone should have insurance, but everyone should also be paying into insurance if you can, and I think it should be a priority that this is where your money should be going. And so if you have only people who need insurance, having insurance, insurance would not exist because insurance has to in some way be able to recoup the losses that it's paying for all of these other people. And so it's like, well, how do you do that? And it's like, you have no fault states for car insurance where everyone has to have insurance for the car. That's the point is like everyone is paying into this pot 
of insurance so that if an accident happens, most people aren't going to get into accidents and, but they still have insurance. And so they're still paying into that pot for those situations where people do get into accidents. Um, and it's the same sort of thing with, with loans. It's the same sort of thing with, uh, insurance. It's just like, you know, there's, there's always the game of, of the buyer and the seller, the taker and the provider. And I feel like society always is demonizing the provider and always on the side of the receiver or the buyer. And it's like, I mean, I'm usually the buyer, so it's like you're right. But at the same time... I think time, it's because I think the provider most of the time is taking too big of a cut. If, if they took like how much it costs to repair the cars of people who got in an accident that year and you paid proportionally, like if you'd gotten in an accident, you pay more than someone who drives really safe. Like if we paid into that proportionally, I you think do. it'd be, it'd be a, no, but they, the insurance companies also take a large portion of the money. Do they? That's my understanding. What portion? Probably too much. I do, don't know, but do how you, do you know? I mean, how much do you pay for a car insurance per year? Like, roughly. Less than $500. Less than 500. And Oregon has 160,000 people. Or, I mean, Eugene has 160,000 people, I think. Um, but anyway, so if that many, that many people are paying that much money, do the amount of accidents that happen in Eugene cost that much to repair? I think it's a lot lower. I don't know, but you also have to c talk about, and one guy isn't doing this. Yeah. There's a lot of people that are employed. There's a lot of costs that you don't see. And so it's like, am I sitting here siding with the auto insurance companies? Not really, because I don't know how it works, but there are people who are paid lots of money to calculate out Good point. this stuff. Uh, actuarial science, I think. Uh, maybe I'm, I might be totally wrong. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's with like investing. I'm not sure. But like people are paid a lot of money to weigh these probabilities and these risks and find out optimal costs because you know you put the cost too high and eventually people are going to be like it's not worth the cost the risk i'm just i'm just going to risk not having insurance mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people do that with health insurance and it's like that's not good um and so like there's a sweet spot there of how much you're going to charge people and turn a profit to make it worthwhile to even be in the business because if it's not worth it to be in the business just go elsewhere do you think it should be a business or do you think those sort of things should be covered by the government i think it depends on what it is i think something like health insurance it should probably not be a business uh i don't know how we're going to get there but i think that health insurance should be something that's automatically taken out of your taxes so you don't even have a choice to pay into it or not uh, that would same be with auto. Mines will do it with more, anyways. but then you have to trust your government. Well, you also have to acknowledge the fact that not everyone has a car. Not everyone needs a car. And so I think that auto insurance is probably fine being a Good private. Point. I think auto insurance is probably fine. I think that anything virtual, well, not anything, but most things in terms of like insurances would probably be better if they were run by a single entity. And in a perfect a world, in a perfect world, that would be great. You know what? I think in the perfect world, a country would be best run by one dictator. AI. And no, yes. Uh, but Something like, that doesn't need money well, to extract money well, out of the process. Well, yes, but I'm saying like in, in you know, barring AI, mm -hmm. the best way to run a country is probably one person making all the decisions. But the, inherently, there's yeah. so much abuse of power in that that it could never actually, like, in practice, be 
implemented without disastrous consequences. So by no means am I in support of any sort of dictatorships at all. Yeah. Uh, new. I like what we have. Mm-hmm. Um, but is- there's certainly inefficiencies embedded in it. Things don't get, you know, things get overturned every time there's an administration switch and things take forever to get done and so on and so forth. And it's like, well, you know, how do you avoid those problems? And it's like, I don't, I don't know. You know, Churchill said, I think that like democracy is the worst form of government, except all the other ones that have been tried. I think they said that about capitalism. Capitalism. No, it was democracy. Was it really? It was democracy. Uh, Definitely democracy. But like, I'm not sure about what should and should not be done by the government. I love certain things that the government does, like libraries. We have the ability to get knowledge. I do think I have, I've come to this conclusion, especially strongly and especially quite recently, uh, that would it, would a racket be a correct term? I'm not really sure. Uh, but it's definitely a scam. I do think that universities and degrees are to some degree a scam. In some cases, no. I don't think I would be able to be where I'm at without an actual university education, the things that those provide me. But like, Tori took some community college classes and community college classes. They're a couple hundred dollars and they were online and she didn't like them at first, but she came around and she learned a good bit from it. Now she's taking a course at a university, also online, well-known university, paying three, four times as much, and the lectures are a total waste of time. The homework is a total waste of time. The whole class is a joke. She's learning basically nothing. The professor is trash. There's no feedback, individual feedback. And it's like, but this is the university. This is the place she has to go for this this course. She has to pay this premium price. And really, how is she learning? She's teaching herself out of the book. But you still have to pay, you know, how many thousands per credit? $900 per credit or something at a university? That's absurd. That's, a, that's criminal activity as far as that's I'm concerned. That's gentrifying knowledge. That's gentrifying knowledge. Well, no, it's not gentrifying knowledge. It's gentrifying opportunity. Yeah. Not even the accessibility knowledge because anyone can go and pick up that book. It's gentrifying the opportunities that that knowledge offers because you can't even get looked at if you don't have the degree. And so for something like a PhD, again, going all the way back to that question, it's different because there's a lot more that goes into a PhD. But in terms of a degree at all, if you know, I was tasked to hire someone who got a nuclear engineering bachelor's degree to work as a technician in my lab versus someone who actually had five years of experience working as a technician in a lab, you better believe I'd be hiring the technician like 99.9% of the time. Uh, like, but then how do people get that? Get that the first year of that five years in the lab, you know? That's the whole thing is how do people without get a degree breakthrough zero? Yeah, without a degree or even with a degree, it's hard because everything requires however many two to five years of experience. Like, how do you get that first experience, you know? Uh, when you're in debt, started at the bottom, now you're here. Like, yeah, the, no, but seriously, so like, not. Not but, but you wouldn't hire someone who has no experience and no bachelor's to work as a technician at your lab. Well, that depends. It depends on how much I would be paying them. And I know Oregon just passed a thing recently where, like, companies have any... If you're in a... Um, 
I'm pretty sure they passed it. I know that this was a big thing at where my girlfriend is working, where um, anyone that's in the same sort of job qualification, like job title, regardless of differences in experience or seniority or whatever, has to get paid the same amount. And this is a perfect example of the government getting their hands where they should not be. And big supporter of government intervention. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm sitting here touting, you know, supporting insurance companies and saying like the government shouldn't be doing this, blah, blah, blah. But like, I actually am a big, it's easier to criticize something I'm supporting and what they do wrong. Good point. Uh, and so like, I'm criticizing the government here because I support them, but holy crap, you should not be doing this because, you know, if I'm working in a job for 40 years versus you, you just got hired first day. We should not be getting paid the same because yes, I'm older. So like seniority, but like seniority isn't just like I'm older. Seniority is I have so much more experience and there are problems that will come up and I can just do the job better than you. And so, I mean, you could get around that by creating a different job title for every single person, but like that's ridiculous. And so you're causing a lot more work than you need. You probably have to hire a whole nother person to just do this. So you're costing the companies more money and you're not making anybody happy. Um, in terms of getting that first start, you have to start low and, and grow high. When I started in nuclear engineering, I was putting labels on um, electronics in the lab and mapping out like a circuit board that was already done. I just had to like draw it uh, like on paper. And then like that's, that's where I started. And then I moved up to simple smaller projects and then people saw oh you have experience with silicon photomultipliers well come right in we're going to teach you how to do this and you you can leverage your knowledge with things that you don't know and learn those things that you don't know and now you have more knowledge where you can leverage against things that you don't know you know it's at least in my experience as a you know pursuing jobs now because i'm i'm almost done so i'm applying for a lot of jobs i'm doing interviews and so on and it's like no job is written for you, at least in my field. You can be like 90% qualified, but you're, it's, it's never written for you. And so you have to use the knowledge that you do have and apply it in a new way. And that's, that's how it goes. So how can you leverage, how can you put yourself in situations where you might get skills that are applicable? And at the end of the day, someone does need to take a chance on you. But I think that those chances can be increased by, you know, the money. For example, I'm just leaving school. There's a postdoc position. So basically it's like you've been in school, you've been a grad student, you've probably done internships while you've been there. So you have some experience in the field and you have a lot of education. You've done your PhD, blah, blah, blah. Now you want to go get a job at a university or at a national lab. How do, how can we possibly trust you over, you know, someone who has shown for a decade that they know what they're doing. Well, there's an, a different position. It's called a postdoc. And the postdoc position is sort of like an intermediary where your job is to work a ton at a lower wage and publish a ton of stuff and develop your your technical signature is what they call it, at least in my field, where it's like, 
you develop a sort of idiom for yourself. People recognize your work. People recognize the work that you do. And then you can say, you know, why are you applying for this job? Why should we hire you? And it's like, oh, well, I've worked two years on this project mm -hmm. and this has given me skills A, B, and C. And so while this is different than yours, I do have some skills that are very transferable. And I've written this in several cover letters that I've gotten calls back about. And I've, they've said, you know, like you, you're right. You know, you haven't worked on gas detectors, but you've worked on solid state detectors and they work using a similar operating principle. And so that is something that you can do. We believe that you can do it. So that's more than I can even try to encapsulate. But kind of what I got from that was just develop highly specialized skills that in and know how to in like how to exchange it into other kind of place not extreme, not not so much highly related. specialized but applicable, applicable applicable skills so yes some specialized skills but applicable skills more than anything uh again like if it you know you can move up the ropes in one job position you can go from you know again going from not my personal experience but my girlfriend she went from uh from accounts payable to bookkeeper to assistant controller mm -hmm. because this had some skills that were relevant in this. She showed she was really good at job A, so she moved to job B. And then she there was a need for someone in job C and she had shown how good she was at job B and showed potential for growth. So they took her and they put her in job C. Yeah. And like that, that's how it is. It's leveraging your skills that you currently have mm -hmm. for a job I think this is where the whole breakdown comes from. I think we have a different idea of what, what we're maybe like, cause so someone who does that, like what is, if you're, if you're being accounting for some firm, like what is it working? It's kind of like the, the Lipitor causes a problem that they have a solution for. Like, I think a lot of jobs created are like just, f just being like, just wasting time more or less. Like there's all those people who designed Lipitor, even though it it lowers your or increases your cause of all mortality, all cause mortality, which created um, the ED problem, which created people making Viagra to cure that, which already wasn't needed. Like there are these like circles that it's like none of that's needed, but I'm sure there's like thousands of jobs and hundreds of millions of dollars that go toward it. So the system as I see it and the way that you present it of you just start at the bottom and you just spend a lot of your life working up would be. It's, it's like, I think that would be cool if we could trust our government and trusted that what we were working toward was a better future where people were happier, healthier, and freer. But I think the current system we're, we're working toward, like say you eventually do progress and you're getting paid more, 30% of that tax money goes to the, the government or, you know, of some sorts. But then the federal government, 60% of what they take or 56%, over half, goes toward the military. And yeah. False. No, you can look it up. The vast majority of it goes towards Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security. Vast majority. Like uh, over two thirds, I'm pretty so? sure. I, I know so. I know that like over 30% goes to Social Security. Okay. I was that very surprised to find this out. Didn't I talk to you about the federal prison thing? How everyone makes mm -hmm. a big thing about how most prisons totally are privately owned mind. and it's like 4% are actually privately owned yep. and most of them are actually governmentally owned. Mm -hmm. But everyone makes a big stink about the 4%. And it's like, I wanted to ask you, you know, you saw this thing about Lipitor and you saw this thing about Viagra and you saw it from being one source. Being owned by the same company. Being owned by the same company. And one causes Pfizer. the problems that, you know, is fixed by the other. And sometimes these conspiracies or you know money-making schemes are true but 
I uh, implore people to take the advice of the video itself and learn your own facts. Don't, you know, this, a lot of people, they'll, they'll see what's going on and then they'll, they'll find alternative information that's like, actually, those things are lies. This is true. And it's like, oh, well, clearly this is true. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, you've just exchanged one demon for another. You aren't actually doing any research yourself. And so it's like, you know, is Lipitor actually not necessary? You know, a lot of people now they're railing against antidepressants because, oh, antidepressants are overprescribed, blah, blah, blah. I know a lot of people who have actually had a lot of help from antidepressants. I don't know about that one here. Like, I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Why? I mean, I'm sure it helps some people, but in the, the stage three clinical trials of the SSRIs that I saw, they barely beat placebo and they didn't beat things like exercise, eating right and getting enough sleep. So it's more or less a bandage for something for not fixing the actual problems that causes it. Like you're gonna be depressed if you're not getting enough sleep, you're eating unhealthy and you're not exercising. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And the fact that it doesn't even beat, like like the placebo, and it, I think it helped like 30% of people and SSRIs helped 40% of people. It technically beat the placebo, but fixing those core parts of your life helped far more people. Oh, I mean, I, I agree with you. So and are I think SSRIs that, the answer? I mean, not necessarily, not necessarily at all. Um, I think it's an option that should be explored the same way as other things. Is medication necessary for everyone? No. Yeah. Is sleeping and, it is and being overprescribed. I would probably agree with that. I think cool. that it's easy to I think it's easy to prescribe yes. something uh, rather than actually try to address the problem. And I think that counseling is something that a lot of people tout and I think a lot of people are actually against it. And I think that counseling like what? Like therapy? Therapist? I'm against therapy. Oh, you should not be against therapy. I don't know. My good friend, you I'm, should I'm not curious, be against therapy. I'm curious your thoughts. Uh, so, well, it, it... I think it can help. It, as, a, as a side note, I think that sometimes eating right and... Uh, eating right and exercise and getting enough sleep are all super important. And I don't think that the medicine is a substitute for those things. You, a lot of people could get by without the medicine. I don't think people should or could get by without eating right, exercise, and enough sleep. And you don't do those things and you get the symptoms of being depressed and stuff. And then if you take the SSRIs to get rid of that, then you don't fix the problems. Yes. Is my understanding. But what if you do those things and you're still having the problems? Then it's totally valid. I'm not saying, but that's what people's argument is. People's argument is that it's overprescribed which is kind of what you're saying too. I think if people, like if you go to your doctor and it's like, all right, you're getting eight hours, of sleep, roughly eight hours of sleep every night. What are you eating? You're eating McDonald's? Fix that. I'm not going to prescribe you anything until you actually start eating better. Cause, cause I can prescribe you anything, but then you're still going to be eating bad or if you know, and you need to have But what some if the medication does fix the problem? <sighs> There's a whole other host of problems, symptoms that'll come up. I think depression's probably a canary in the coal mine of health problems when you're doing things that systematically destroy your body. I would agree with that. And I think pro like being like, okay, well, a canary died. Well, here's an electronic canary. See, it's not chirping right now. Isn't the answer. Yeah. I think developing a coal mine where the canary is alive is the correct, but there's totally mis um, imbalances. I'm not saying everyone with SSRI. No, I, I think you're right. And I think, you know, again, I know, and this is anecdotal. And like, as a scientist, I kind of frown upon anecdotal evidence most of the time, but I do know someone very close to me who eats very well and sleeps well and exercises and his life is going in a good way, but like he's got bipolar issues and 
he started taking medication and his whole life turned around. And he's, I mean, like, and, and a lot of times it's like you see people taking poor care of themselves. And it's like a lot of times the taking poor care of yourself is a manifestation of your depression. And so, like, I've dealt with situations where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with all these things at school and, you know, I'm so depressed and it's like, oh, well, like those things are depressing you. And it's like, no, those things are exacerbated by the fact that I'm already depressed. And so those things that would normally be surmountable are now not surmountable or very, very difficult to surmount because all I want to do is sit around and be sad. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's a, Depression is vicious because the way to fix it is, like, the thing that, or not the way to fix it as if there is <laughs> yeah. just one cure, but one of the best ways to address some of the issues is by doing things that you just don't want to do. Yep. And, like, my even, even localized issues of depression. I have an extroverted friend who... <laughs> I have an extroverted friend who was, like, down in the dumps and we were like, oh, hey, let's go to, I was like, let's go to the fireworks because it was around 4th of July. He's like, man, I don't want to go to the fireworks. So I was like, dude, come on, you'll, you'll feel great. If you go to the fireworks, you'll be around people. And, like, and I dragged him to the fireworks and he felt great because he was around people. He's an extrovert. He got charged up. And it's like, but when, if you're depressed, you don't want to mm -hmm. go. You need, sometimes you need that external force or you need to force yourself to do things. And a lot of people, they just don't want to exercise. Some people actually love to exercise. Me, I hate running. I hate running. Sometimes I make myself run. I, I want to go on a big backpacking trip in a couple weeks. And so, like, I've been stuffing a bunch of heavy things in my bag and strapping it on and trying to walk up a mountain next to my house. There's a mountain next to my house. And, like, it's miserable. And I want to die when I do it. But, like... I need to force myself to do it, mm -hmm. uh, to, you know, do the things that I want to do. It's conditioning. It's mental conditioning. That's what it is. It's like conditioning your mind, conditioning your body so you can condition your mind by, you know, being phys taking care of yourself physically. And you, I agree with you so much that those things are irreplaceable, but sometimes they're not enough. Yeah, I'll agree. But I'm curious. They should do a really they should do a study. Uh, they give everyone, I know you can't get F SSRIs, but something like SSRIs, but that you can get off easily. And then at some point when they refill it, they refill it with sugar pills and how many people are still getting all the benefits of the drug. Like, like start with the actual drugs. So you actually feel the Adderall or whatever you're taking and then switch it out and see if the placebo works Yeah. after I, the fact. And I think that would be great, but I think that there are so many ethical issues with that that it just could never actually be done. Uh, like, But they do do it. Don't they give like cancer patients and stuff, like just sugar pills instead of actual I don't think so. Well, how else do you test, test things against people placebo? Who, people who actually like sign up for a test. Oh, uh, for new drugs. Yeah. Well, for new drugs. And they, but I mean, not in the field. Don't mm -hmm. really know exactly yeah. how it's done, so I don't want to make any claims that mm -hmm. are false. That's such a weird place that you get to, especially with people in the like academia, more more or less than just like average folks. Is that when I ask a question, like a lot of like uh, it happened a lot in Dr. Massey's um, interview, podcast talk, whatever, is that he's like, I'm not qualified to talk about that. I'm like, no one's really qualified to talk about 
anything for the most part. Yeah. Like anything that you <laughs> I'm not say. I'm qualified to talk about nuclear engineering. <laughs> right. Like exactly. So I'm like, I'm not, I'm not like, yeah, I'm not like people listening. This isn't like a, like a prescription. Like, oh, this is the answer. I'm just saying from your ex- life experience, I'm curious your thoughts. And yeah, yeah. some people tend not to get that, but well, I'm like, I'm not. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying like, oh, I'm not qualified to say that exercise is good for you. Mm-hmm. I'm saying I'm not qualified to tell you how they do drug trials. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, no, I don't valid. do drug trials. Yeah, that's valid. Uh, and you know, I, when I was younger, I had the habit of spouting off like I knew what I was talking about. And it's like, there's so much more that you have no idea. No one idea. knows anything. So, We're yeah. just trying our best. I know yeah. I should almost preface these entire interviews with... By the way, <laughs> we don't necessarily know what we're talking about, so take this yeah. all with a grain of salt. Like we're just we're just kind of speaking from experience. Yeah. But like you you hear people spouting off about politics and like I used to be one of those people back in high school where I spouted off about politics all the time and it's like you are in 11th grade child. You have no idea what you're talking about. Yes. Have you have you read all of the history of Marx? Have you read all of the history of, you know, all these things no you don't so why are you spouting off like you have any idea what you're talking about but because they're just buying propaganda i think especially in politics night a hundred over a hundred percent of what you hear is propaganda even the stuff you don't even look at is propaganda yeah. it's paid it's paid for yeah, changing your view on how you view them or their opponent it's it's painful as a scientist and it's painful just as me as a person to watch like democratic debates because like it's easy for me to watch Republican debates because I can just be like, wow, <laughs> you guys are wrong about everything. <laughs> or like, I mean, that's not entirely true, but like, no, man, I disagree with most of the things that you're talking about mm-hmm. compared to the Democratic debates where it's like, wow, I do support these things and I do, I have done reading about these things and you are so like one dimensionally misrepresenting what's going on. Yes. And it's like when people try to have an educated discussion about something and they have a like super super vague understanding of what's going on mm-hmm. like you can't actually have any sort of constructive talk and like this is part of why you know democracy is the worst form of government except every other one that's been tried because it's like people will vote for things that aren't working now but you you're not going to see the benefits for several years and i was talking to my mom about this and it's like you know the president can't actually do that much to affect the economy now like the president can say things or try to you know direct policy and direct cabinet and so on to make changes to the economy that you know have long-term effects but you know the the economy we're dealing with right now isn't just trump being awesome and the economy that we're dealing with right now also isn't obama being awesome uh but you know that doesn't stop Trump from saying like, I fixed the economy. Like I'm running the best economy ever. And everyone's like, that guy's running the best economy ever. But you also don't, you know, you have liberals saying like Trump is just riding Obama's wave. And all the other liberals are like, Trump's riding or Trump's riding Obama's wave. And it's like, you're, it's so much more nuanced than that. Oh my goodness. It makes you just want to stay out of politics. Both sides. It really does. It really does. Equally just bought into the propaganda. Yeah. It's, it's, just excruciatingly painful uh and so which brings me to the propaganda that you face when you so if if Ah, that as a nuclear someone in nuclear if if you even want to have a discussion with someone who doesn't know about nuclear but they've i've read a forbes article about five reasons nuclear energy won't work you watched that chernobyl thing didn't you and yeah exactly Uh so I'm, I'm, i'm so i'm curious what are some things that prevent a conversation about nuclear or about energy in general like just particles vibrating 
what what are what are some things that often get in the way of a conversation even starting? Um, you know, I personally haven't really butted up against too many issues where people have just been outright like, "Oh, you're a nuclear engineer. I'm going to shut my ears." It's it does happen, but it's not very common. I once went to a store. And like, I got into a conversation with some older ladies and they were like, oh, what do you do? One of them was like, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to school for nuclear engineering. And the other one's like, oh, I'm sure he's still a good person. And it's like, oh, thank you. Like, go away. <laughs> um, I think that the, f the fundamental issue of like people not understanding like how radiation works or just like how reactors work uh, in general is like, it's it's not surprising but it's still just kind of exhausting cuz i mean and i've only been dealing with it for like 10 years but like and also just people's natural inclination to not probabilistically weigh things appropriately and i'm saying this as a human who also falls into this category cuz everyone does it but it's like you look at the actual risk of like a reactor melting down probabilistically and it's like so minusculely small compared something to like Chernobyl comes but out. then something like Chernobyl happens and people are well, basing their thoughts and decisions yes, on fear but, but then but then is there goes into the other of like people don't actually understand how reactors work because the Chernobyl reactor was inherently different than the d reactors that we have in the United States and so like the reactors that we have in the United States couldn't have that occur it, they can't mm -hmm. they they shut down and they didn't include that in the show they did of course they didn't because like chernobyl is about chernobyl and i didn't watch the show and i probably should but i i don't know i can't speak on what the show covers and what it doesn't but it, i know it, that chernobyl was di i i read someone said like oh like you can spread radiation like a cold or something like someone had radiation like on their hands and then they like shook someone else's hand or something and then like that person died or some nonsense like this. And it's like that, no, that can't happen. I mean, like you can have contaminated stuff on your hands mm -hmm. that you would spread from person to person. I don't know what happened in the show. So maybe that is what happened. But like in terms of like, oh, I have been irradiated by like photons, like I'm going to go, you know, give Tiger a hug now. Tiger isn't going to get, like, irradiated by photons. I've already been irradiated by the photons. He's not going to get more irradiated. You know, conservation of energy. Mm -hmm. uh, but... It's more like you're just going to die a horrible cancerous death. Me? Yeah. Uh, it depends on how much radiation I get. <laughs> In the show, but, like, they were touching the, the core and stuff like that. Oh, God, you're going to so totally die. Yeah. Like, so, really so, fast. Right. Like, you're probably not going to die of cancer. You're just going to die. The, like, the show was, it was almost like a hit piece against the concept of nuclear. Because it's like if hit piece comes out like, oh, Stephen, whatever, he, he hates dogs. And then it's like, it turns out there's a ton of things where I like, oh, maybe you as a six-year-old once said you didn't like dogs, such as like way back then, mm -hmm. nuclear energy is different. But then they redact it and like, oh, well, Steve's different now. He likes dogs now. But people would have to read that initial hit piece and then go yeah. also read another piece. Well, I heard like that you have to go read further to know that nuclear isn't like that anymore. I heard that Chernobyl wasn't actually that like egregiously against nuclear or something like that. Uh, but I, again, didn't see it, don't know. But uh, people who watch it are like, oh shit, nuclear's bad. 
And it, the show doesn't make a point to say, hey, this isn't how it is anymore. Nuclear energy is a lot better and different now. Well, I mean, nuclear energy was like that. Then, too, it was just the reactors that the Russians were using were built in a different way such that um, you could have issues like the RBMK Chernobyl reactor exploding. Uh, by the way, just as a PSA, the nuclear reactors that we have in the United States physically cannot blow up like a bomb. They, they have a fuel that is in them that makes it physically impossible for them to blow up like a bomb. Uh, like a nuclear bomb. Uh, so, you know, sleep well at night, <laughs> yeah. I suppose. Um, so what would a perfect situation be? Like if money wasn't necessarily a thing, would running the entire U.S. off nuclear be a good thing? A if, good solution? If money was not an issue, yeah. like if you could just boop and mm. like the power plants would mm. be up, oh my God, that would be so awesome. It would be much better. Like, it, I mean, God, yes. But it shouldn't just be one fuel source. The thing is with nuclear is like you can build it anywhere that there's like a cooling source. You can build it next to rivers. You can build it next to things. By the way, when you build it next to a river, because you're like, whoa, like that seems like a terrible place to build a nuclear reactor. Like why would you build it next to a river? But like when you have your reactor, you know, you have your, your vessel and then you have the, like basically what it is is a, a nuclear reactor is just controlled boiling of water. And the way that there's two main ways that they work, but like the, the one that I'm going to talk about is the PWR, pressurized water reactor, where you have your core and you have water flowing by the core and the water is heated up by the nuclear reactions happening in the core. And then the water moves out here and then you have a second tube, uh, not one tube, many, 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 many tubes, uh, thermal exchange, and you have a second loop of water going through and coming into contact via like the tubes proximity with the water from the reactor. So you have loop one from the reactor, you have that water and you have loop two, which is water getting close to this water and this water heats up and it turns into steam. And then you have a third tube and this is the cooling tube and that's like your river or oh, something okay. like that. So it's oh, twice removed kind it's of. It's twice removed and so like, the water in the reactor is super reactive, mm -hmm. like or super ionized, radioactive. Ionizing. It's it's there's probably a lot of stuff in there that you don't want to be touching. Uh, could be wrong, actually. But I that's don't really super con contained. Yes. Well, I, I, today. <laughs> yes, I'm, but like since like the fifties, this is the st the style of reactor we've had in the U.S. Um, are there any thoughts on future reactors that are even better, or is it like... We have been designing good? future reactors since the 1950s. They are still not built. That's crazy. That's the situation, and there are still people doing their PhDs on how to improve these reactors that still have not been built. Does it ever feel hopeless? Yes, all the time. Uh, the problem with nuclear is there's so much red tape about getting stuff established that... By the time you actually build the reactor, nuclear is an extremely expensive fuel source uh, or energy source unless you run it for like 40 years. And then you have all the decommissioning fees. Uh, and the thing is like the, that red tape is like kind of necessary because if you didn't have it, then you could have accidents. So it's like you want this to be safe, but you have all this red tape getting things established in the first place. And so it becomes very expensive and it's a shame. And then you have all these other designs that may or may not be better, but no one wants to actually build them because 
we there's have no money in it. There's no That's well, the yes, goal. yes, That's and like you need so much upfront. Westinghouse just went bankrupt recently, and they own like half the reactors in the U.S. Like, yeah, because like nuclear is just so expensive. And now we've made a lot of advancements. Like we have new reactors called New Scale. Uh, in Corvallis, they're actually working on it, but these are small modular reactors that are a lot cheaper and power a smaller group of people, um, like maybe small cities in comparison to like giant metropolitan areas. Um, but they cheaper, I assume. Yes, significantly so. So you can yeah. just make one for each city if there's a water source. Yeah, and I don't even know how it's. I think it might be passively cooled. I'm not 100% sure how new scale but, works, but, but I, don't, I don't know a, if you even... A capitalist society doesn't inherently let this happen because it's not monetarily beneficial. So the Nuclear government would have to... Nuclear is pretty subsidized. It is. It is. Okay, but like if, if, say, we wanted to make the switch to nuclear, the government would just have to be like... They would create a bunch of jobs. The only thing is the government wouldn't make a lot of money off of it. So why wouldn't the government just start building small cells at different cities? Uh, I mean, it's like the only nuclear, there's, it, I think there's two nuclear projects that are funded by the DOE and new skill is one of them. It oh, get, cool. It's gotten like $250 million grant or something like that. It's got a lot of money behind it. So they are like actively investigating using this, uh, as a possible route for the future. And good. so it, it's good. It's a good technology. It really is. Um, and they tested it where they like made the whole core go dry for three days. Like they just ran all the water out and they were like testing it to see, you know, is the fuel going to melt or is the passive air cooling going to be enough to keep it chill? Mm -hmm. And it stays chill. That's another thing that I want to clear up. Like whenever, whenever there's issues or accidents or something called a scram, which all the control rods like go into the reactor core and shuts it down. So like whenever there's an issue, an earthquake or whatever, boom, reactor shuts off. The problem is that there's stuff that has been made in the fission process uh, that continues to decay. So like you have your atom and then you split that atom and the two parts that come off, they're still reactive. And so they will decay. And when they decay, they release particles that end out in the end as heat. And so you need to be co continuously cooling the fuel to make sure that all that heat has somewhere to go. Mm -hmm. And that's how you have meltdowns is you can't cool your, your reactor core okay. uh, after it's shut down. Like I talked to someone and someone's like, oh yeah, Fukushima didn't shut down. And it's like, no, it shut down like instantly. And they're like, no, no, it didn't. I'm like, you have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. Like, yes, it did. It shuts down immediately. It's just the, the decay products continue yeah. to decay. So could one in the U.S. melt down today? If not explode, could it melt down? Yeah. Yes, given, given the proper circumstances. That being said, especially after Fukushima, there was a big investigation that went on to like all the nuclear reactors in the entire country and recommendations for improvements to basically try to make sure that that doesn't happen. But like physics, the physics of the situation, yes, it could happen. Uh, chances of it happening are really low. And like people are employed solely for like this job of probability risk assessment and saying, you know, this equip using this equipment, using this equipment, using this equipment, what are the chances of failure here, here, and here? What are the, um, what are the fail safes? And like, that's a huge design principle of like a lot of 
design principles that you learn about in engineering, it's like uh, you want to make it as best as you can with as little redundancy as possible. And nuclear is kind of the opposite as far as reactors go, where it's like, you know, nuclear reactors, you want as much defense in depth and redundancy as you possibly can. You want two, three, maybe even four fail safes mm -hmm. to make sure that, you know, your system doesn't fail. Yeah. So one thing, one, one kind of going off this, um, saying you have a well-running system versus a well-running coal or whatever the heck natural gas we're running today, and not even getting into the discussion of climate change, because you can have whatever, you could debate it forever, but just on based on pollution, is nuclear less polluting? Because I know the barrels that you get are bad. And so how, how, how so? Extraordinarily so. It, nuclear doesn't really emit anything into the atmosphere. I can't, I can't say like absolute zero. But that's toward climate change. I don't know. Huh? I'm not saying into the atmosphere. I'm saying does it pollute our rivers and our no. cities? No. Okay. It doesn't release anything. It doesn't release anything into the atmosphere. It doesn't release anything into the river. It doesn't release anything. And, uh, well, I can't, again, I can't say absolute zero because I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but I know that if there are emissions, they are extraordinarily low. Like, no health impact like whatsoever on the fish on anything that actually the biggest impact that nuclear reactors have on the ecology of the area is you have a, a heat source that might cause like different plants to grow mm. or something so like you're now heating up a certain area of the river that's why rivers are so nice or like building it on an ocean or something like that as opposed to like a small lake or something mm -hmm. uh but that in the end you have you have the rods, you have the fuel, and it's waste. And some of it you can actually recycle. Most of it you can recycle. The U.S. doesn't do that for various reasons. Um, yeah. But we, we, don't, we don't recycle our fuel, unfortunately. But, like, you only use up, like, 1% of it, and you can get out, like, 4 or 5% and reuse it as fuel. Most of the stuff that goes into your reactor isn't actually burnable fuel. Uh, but... Are the, we ever going to run out of fuel, like yeah. uranium? Yeah, could happen. And so if we did get completely dependent on it, would we be where we are with fossil fuels, but another place? N uh, nuclear isn't, like, renewable, then. You can't create uranium. No, well, technically you can, but no. Yeah, no, you can't not create. sustainable. It takes more energy to make it, kind Correct. of Correct. Uh, you can get it from the seawater. Huh. And there's a ton. There's an effectively infinite supply in the seawater. So you're saying the as far ocean as I'm aware. Yes. is radioactive. <laughs> I mean, uranium has a super long half-life. It decays super slowly. And so, like, if there was a piece of, like, uranium, I would, like, hold it in my hand. And you I would. would? Yes, I wouldn't be afraid of it. Whoa. It decays so slowly. And also, this is another thing about radiation is, like, radiation isn't... Uh, and you know what? I, I should probably say... I. I wouldn't want to hold the, ra the, yeah. the uranium in my hand. Minor well, you can buy depleted uranium. Oh, on, cool. online my just understanding like of how it work if it was rating like yeah it's really slow but if it happened to shoot off one at the right time could it go could it hit you and and knock off an electron and cause a cancerous thing somewhere on you uh it, i mean it wrecks it messes with your dna uh i don't know the health impacts specifically i don't understand the mechanisms too deeply but i know it can mess up your dna it can hit your dna and so that's how it causes cancer in the long term but like your body is really quite amazing in terms of how it fixes itself in these situations how the cell was like programmed to die if it takes too much damage and so on um but every time you damage a cell there's a chance that it might become cancerous instead of killing itself and so uh 
but a lot of times those don't really go anywhere they just end out dying in the end anyway from what i understand yeah. but um with you there's different kinds of radiation um there's photons which are basically just really really high energy light there's electrons and there's something called an alpha particle which is basically just like a nucleus of a helium atom so it's like really fat and heavy and has a lot of energy but the thing is because it's so fat and heavy it hits your skin it deposits all its energy right at the f top and it's it's done mm -hmm. so like i could just sit and like have an alpha source in my hand and like it won't do anything it it's not going to really do much but at you all ate it oh that would be bad okay because all of that energy would be being deposited on the insides of your organs yeah and like my skin is dead this is dead and so it's like it doesn't matter that the radiation is hitting it uh that being said i mean i still wouldn't want to like just you know like uh, because <laughs> if, some of those particles are going to penetrate deeper but mm. most of them are not you mm. know like you can have a bulletproof vest but do you really want to stand behind a bulletproof vest while, where someone you know shoots at it with a tommy gun yeah. not really yeah uh electrons will pr penetrate further uh and photons will honestly probably just go right through you and not do anything. Are photons gamma rays? Gamma, the gamma rays is what I'm mostly talking about. X-rays too. And is that so? So my understanding was that be that uranium just occasionally shoots off gamma rays. Uranium primarily decays via alpha. Okay. Um, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and does it? I don't. I should know. So something this. that you had something that decays really slowly, but it decays via gamma. So it's not, it's like constantly putting them off, like in random directions and stuff, depending on where it's... Well, things, <sighs> things don't really just like decay via gamma unless they're metastable. It's, it's complicated. Okay. It's complicated. So it's nothing um, we have to worry about. I mean, like you're, you're radioactive. Like you're, you have, um, things do release photons yeah. they do they decay mm -hmm. and they release photons but it's a little bit that's more nuanced is, than right? just like oh it just emits photon huh that's what light is right yes but it's not i mean like the light that we see from the sun isn't due to i mean it is due to fusion <laughs> but like it's not like oh it, there's a fusion and then like light photons come off the mm -hmm. light photons are too low energy yeah. high energy stuff is released but um speaking of high energy so are there gamma rays just floating around the universe from various things that have happened somewhere yeah and so, do you think if one of those goes through you, that that what would that do to your body? Like probably nothing because it's just going to pass right oh, through you. Really? If it's high enough energy, it's just going to pass right through you. It doesn't knock any proteins or anything. No, probably not. The higher energy something is, like a photon, the more likely it is to not interact in things. It's it's just too high energy, and so it's if it's lower energy, the chances of it interacting are much better. But then if it's even lower, like radio waves, then it really doesn't either. And it passes through you as well. Oh. So. Okay. Yep. Uh, so that's why like ultraviolet can like give you cancer and stuff. Do you have any fears of like 5G? I've heard that it's just strong enough that it can scramble DNA. I know absolutely nothing about it. Oh, I okay. would say I'm largely unconcerned because I doubt that it would be brought to market if it was like actually dangerous, but... I don't know enough about it, so I can't really say. Mm -hmm. so, That's a weird thing where, where trusting your government comes, because they have systematically, like corporations in the government have systematically lied to us, as that video showed. Yeah. You know, so it's like, oh, I trust that it wouldn't come to market, but I'm like, if it means, means more money, there's a strong chance that something that causes a lot of people damage could come to the market. Maybe. I'm not really sure. Yeah. I don't know. But 
I know that like in terms of like physically holding uranium, uranium, I would probably have a glove on so I wouldn't like get it on Take my skin. Yeah. Well, so it wouldn't get on my skin, but like mm. the actual uranium source is not really dangerous. And like depleted uranium is uranium as well. It just, you know, it's more of a certain isotope mm -hmm. than another kind. Uh, so like there's two really big natural isotopes. There's the one that's used in bombs and in fuel that, and then there's the other kind that decays much slower and is much harder to get to like split. And you use that on like tank plating and like um, armor piercing bullets and stuff because it's just really heavy. Um, and it is radioactive, but it's like, it takes like, I think it's half-life is 10 to the eight. So like a hundred million years or on the order of a hundred million years. Mm -hmm. Uh, whereas like the uranium that's in bombs and like is used in fuel, um, to actually like start up the reactor and make it run. Um, it's half-life is like on the order of a million years. So in a million years, you have a chance of you know, the half-life, you know, mm -hmm. half, you have a big pile of uranium-235 nuclei, and after a million years, or some multiple of a million years, like, half of those are going to be decayed yes. away. So, so what are your thoughts on, this is kind of a transition, just energy and you, knowing that you're going to decay someday, like, and knowing that when uranium decays, the half-life of it, that energy's still out there in the universe, and it'll be recycled into something new. Mm -hmm. Do you think that whatever you are, will is kind of similar do you think we're energy just like anything else or do you think what are your, what are your thoughts on what happens when you pass in in respect to what energy is i mean it's it's hard for me to actually like f know how to answer the question because like in terms of what is energy energy is like a tool that we use to to describe something like energy the the i guess what energy is is energy is like light or heat but like energy is just like a a tool that we use to like balance our equations at least that's how i think of energy uh as a note keeping device but what like what's gonna happen are you asking like now i'm actually more interested in what energy is then so, but energy is also matter. Like this is just energy yeah. condensed, like right, a e really slow MC buzz. Squared. E but then MC it's squared. also light, and then time factors into that too. Because if if energy is dense enough, time distorts around it, or what is that? I, oh so man, pretty much everything well, is just no, energy. No, 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 no. I mean, yes. Again, energy is just like there's a conversion between energy and mass. E energy equals m times the speed of light squared. Mm -hmm. uh, so there, that's the conversion. And so, like, yes, matter is energy. But it's not a converted. It's always both, isn't it? Or it's converted. It's either energy or it's matter. M mass. Mass. Mass is energy. Energy is mass. But it's, it isn't, there's no conversion. It's they're like equivalent. A, yeah, they're, but they're, they're both states at the same time. Uh, <sighs> like, like this... If I just lifted it up, then it would gain potential energy, even though it's still matter, right? Like the table. Ye um, yes. Yes, but potential energy isn't like energy that it actively has. It's potential energy. 
like a waterfall is like potential energy getting converted into kinetic energy as it's moving in. So this is what I mean by it's sort of a note keeping device where like, you know, you lift something up and it has so much potential. How much energy does it have? Well, it has this much. You put in energy to lift it. So now it has this energy mm -hmm. and then it has kinetic energy if you drop it and, you know, it expends that potential energy, converts it to kinetic energy mm -hmm. as it falls. Uh, and that's the earth working its force on it and uh, pulling it down. So it's doing work. Energy is just work that's being done. So how does gravity translate to Ooh, energy? Yeah, answer that. And it, gravity, this is outside of my field. I, d I don't know if I'm qualified to speak on this. Okay. Gra there's gravity waves. There's something about gravity distorting space-time. Um, and like the way that energy propagates through the atm through the, the fabric that is space time, uh, gravity is weird. Gravity is actually like really weird because all the other, th there's four fundamental forces, uh, the weak force, the strong force, the electric force or electromagnetic force and gravity and, uh, electro weak is, and can be like on a baser level, I guess. Just between the, atoms like hydrogen and oxygen is well, strong there's there's more it, you can go three, even lower three of those four is more or less just holding atoms and things together though, or e, molecules together. yes and there's more to it as well like the em force all particles interact with the the world around us via the exchange of certain particles that are carriers of this force um and so the electromagnetic force when a photon interacts with some like photons carry the em force uh I believe. I believe. No. But so so gravity is very different from those other three, though. Electrons. Oh shoot. Well, either way, I hope I didn't say something that was uh. It's fine. Totally wrong. No one's gonna but fact. I, I know. We're, I know, we're I just know. throwing around ideas. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. Okay. I, know. I, I need <laughs> to review my particle physics. Goodness. But um, all of these three forces are very very powerful at short ranges uh the electromagnetic force is powerful like forever the strong force is powerful at very very short ranges like the size of it within a nucleus and then gravity is like stupid weak it's like so so weak like i have a paper clip on this table and i can take like a magnet and like pick up that um and that's the electromagnetic force beating earth like i just beat earth that's how weak gravity is compared to, and like the big question is like, why is gravity so much weaker than these other ones? And how do they actually play together in the world that is particle physics? Uh, it's a complicated question and people still haven't figured out. Why? Why? <laughs> Which is your whole thing. Yeah. Uh, Where has why taken you? What are, what are some of the, the maybe thoughts you've had? That don't have answers, just questions that you have. Oh, well, now I'm thinking about the gravity. electro, the electric force, electromagnetic, no, I'm thinking of the electromagnetic <laughs> force carrier and how I need to review particle physics, for goodness sake, that's really pathetic, but, um, questions that I've thought about that don't have answers. Or maybe they do, just some thoughts that you've kind of had on your why journey. That might be putting you on the spot. That's yeah, a lot. That's a, that's a big question. Um, a lot of those questions I've kind of worked out answers for myself that may or may not be wrong. 
like intelligence is one, like what is intelligence? And I, I described what I think intelligence is earlier. Intelligence is just a byproduct of what you're interested in and your environment and being able to quench that. Um, like, I think everyone at some point has the question of why are we here? And I don't know. You figured out why you're here. Go read the stranger. And, (laughs) and that's kind of my answer is like, yeah, there's, I don't really know if there's a reason why we're here. Yeah. Uh, we're just kind of here and we have to make our own meanings to things. Um, you know, uh, why do we like the things we do? I think is a pretty, is honestly a bigger question. Why are we interested in what we're interested in? Cause like, you know, the intel, why are we intelligent in certain things? Well, because we're interested in them. If that follows, then like, why are we interested in certain things? And that I have no idea the answer to that question uh and maybe behavioral scientists or psychologists or whatever they do know um i don't know and i think that's something that puzzles me because like i don't like i mean maybe it's a byproduct of like what we're surrounded with uh i don't know i don't know it is a it's a hard question to answer like i've asked so many questions throughout my life and now that you're asking me to to pick one or two, I, I can't however many you have, I, but I, it's it's really hard to put when people when people are put on the spot. You yeah, know? but yeah. I'll, I'll have you back on at some point. Oh, that's cool. And at that All point, right. I'll ask you. We'll just kind of just talk about your bigger questions because I'm I'm actually writing something. That kind of I'm just trying to put my thoughts onto actual paper because you know you have all these ideas idea. of things, but you don't actually formulate like until I ask you questions that make you they force you to put words to your thoughts, you know, mm-hmm. and then it changes your thoughts. Mm-hmm. So I'm more or less just kind of doing that for myself. And yeah. It's a oh, getting back to what we were talking about earlier, uh, and therapy and how you think that therapy is a bad idea. Yeah. That's what good therapy is. It's just basically them kind of talking to you, but really more like you talking to them and figuring out what, like basically just talking out your issues or your problems. I totally agree. Let me present what I think therapy is and why it's bad. And I'm totally down to hear, to be convinced otherwise. So first I'm going to use an analogy. You go to physical therapy to get the tools to heal your body physically. You go to a personal trainer for someone to motivate you and be with you when you work out. A lot of therapists that you go to just take your money to talk to them and progress for a while but they don't leave you with tools like hey over this next week till i see you again you should really think how in what ways did your parents affect you and in what way why do you want to go into nuclear like they don't they don't give you the same things that a physical therapist gives you in terms of tools to fix yourself they're more like personal trainers which is totally a valid thing some people do need just someone to talk to like to vent with or someone to work like motivate them to work out but i think that a good therapist should when you come in be like hey here's my problem their goal should be like all right let's get you and let's get you the tools to fix yourself as quick as possible but instead i think that it tends to be more of all right let's keep doing this indefinitely which is not necessarily the answer i think that this um kind of goes back to the like pseudo conspiracy idea that everyone's just out to make a quick buck and it's like most therapists have a wait list like months long so i don't think that that's it at all uh i don't think i think that maybe there are some that are like 
questionable in their activities, but I think that by and large, no, but therapists are doing an honorable profession, uh, and they're doing their best to help you. Um, I think that everyone has a different style and a different specialization. I think that every case has a different need. Some people do just need to be listened to. Some people need to be challenged. Some people need somewhere to sit for hours at a time or an hour a week until two months pass and they finally feel comfortable enough to talk. And it's up to that therapist to figure out what that person needs. And a good therapist will recognize what the patient needs and will change their, th their treatment procedure to meet the needs of that person. And sometimes the therapist will give you, you know, exercises to do at home. Other times the exercises kind of come naturally. And I think that's part of, you know, what the therapist is, should recognize, you know, the therapist will be good at recognizing this or that. Uh, have you ever been to a therapist before? If, I, if you I went this. once uh -huh. um, just to kind of see what it was. And mm -hmm. it was, it was, it was very similar to my experience going to physical. I obviously went to school to be a physical therapist. And as soon as I interned at an office, I'm like, this is the most horrendous business that takes advantage of sick and desperate people. And I'm pretty, I'm decently outspoken. I think physical therapy for people who have gone through surgery and need rehabilitation, very helpful. I think therapy for people who have PTSD and need to work through it, maybe very helpful. But I think a lot of people in the medical field, because when they go to school, they get this huge amount of debt. So they need to make their practice profitable. They're more incentivized to have returning patients than to heal people because they have a debt to repay. And so if, you're, if your goal is to make more money, it's more like, do, what do you think of chiropractors? Do you think they're, they're snake oils or do you think they're legitimate? Um, yes and no. Okay. Well, factually, from my personal experience, factually, they're pretty much snake oil salesmen, but they'll keep telling you to come back every couple days. I think that's what a therapist I've is. had an experience with both in terms of chiropractors. And like, I, I think chiropractors do have to go to school for quite some time and they learn a lot of what I would consider snake oil sort of things, but they learn a lot of legitimate things. I had an issue with my back for a very long time and the chiropractor did a certain thing to me and like a switch, it was, it was fixed. And that was unbelievable. And most, but most of the time the chiropractor's work did not do anything to me. And so uh, in part, I agree with you, but I don't think I don't think that chiropractors just go in thinking like I'm going to scam more people today. No, I, I think, think everything one I think wants they to help. Believe that they're doing good, mm -hmm. and I don't. I think maybe you must you must have had just bad experiences because I don't believe that people are just in it to, you know, get people to come back. I, I feel like there's too many people on too many wait lists to actually benefit. I think there are certain cases. There are certain, I'm not I, saying they I all take, just want you to come back. I'm I, saying they're underlyingly incentivized for you to come back. And unless I, they outspokenly say, hey, well, let's try to get this done in, in as few of sessions as possible. 
I, most of my experiences have been like that. There is one doctor that I've gone to that I get medication prescribed to me for an issue. And he makes me come back every single year to basically, and the, the medicine is totally benign. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's not going to have really any side effects or anything. And he's like, hi, I'm like, hi. He's like, how's that medication working for you? It's like, yeah, it's, it's still, still doing its job. Yeah. yeah? Okay. I'll prescribe you another year. It's like, I just paid you $20 to have a like one minute conversation. But if you didn't have insurance, it would have been hundreds. It would have been like a $120 like thing just for you to say like, yeah, this mm-hmm. is still working just like it was last year and the year before. I guess where I'm coming from so, is if you go to therapy, you're admitting that you have a problem and you want to fix that problem. And I think a lot of the mental things that therapy has is people are judging their own thoughts. They aren't just having the conversation with themselves. And they have to go to the therapist as a way to be like, another person is telling me it's okay to think the way that I do. Sometimes. I mean, I mean the majority of, like, if you go to therapy and it gets fixed, it tends to be you fix your own problems. Sometimes. They help you get there. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest thing would be we just need to teach people, like, there's no thought police. You can think anything. You can think, you can go down horrible. It's like when you're, you're standing on a, a building, your brain quickly says, oh, what would I jump? It's like the call of the void. It's a, every single person experiences that, you know? And it, you go through that thought pattern to be like, oh, that's not a good solution. And I think some people start going down a path of thought that they need to reach the end of to fix their problem, but they judge themselves saying, oh, even if I just think about this, I'm a bad person. But then it, with, in the presence of a therapist, you can actually go down that whole route. Yes. I I think I see what you're saying. Uh like there we should just people can be their own therapists in a way. And if they really way. get stuck, friends and family should be able to be a therapist. Uh-uh. Wow. I totally disagree. I totally disagree. One, it's not the responsibility of your friends and family. Two, your friends and family might be approaching you the wrong way. So I've seen two and well i've seen more than two but i've seen two primarily uh for like extended periods of time and one of them and i did a group session as well a couple several uh and one of them was just totally not on the same wavelength and like i would explain you know i'm having this issue i'm having that issue and she's like, oh, I'm like angry for you that like that would happen. And I'm angry for you that you're experiencing this and people aren't understanding you. I'm like, that is so not the case right now. Like a lot of this is my fault. Like I don't need your manufactured sympathy. Was not a good therapist for me. Might be good for other people, but for me, horribly useless. Um, so what has a good therapist done? I went to one and she listened to everything that I would share and say, and she immediately identified that that emotional BS was not going to work with me. Again, might work for someone else, and I shouldn't call it BS, but like that would not work with me. And so she took a much more logical approach. Sometimes the logical approach worked, sometimes it didn't. But she knew that, she identified that that would work a lot better. And there was an issue that I was having once where I was like, you know, I'm having, she asked me, you know, describe this situation, describe, you know, write a word essay for me and really think about why you, what you were thinking in this situation, you know, think about why you were thinking that way. And I was explaining it and 
she was, I was like, oh yeah, I was going to do like this one thing. And, or I, I didn't do this one thing. And she was like, well, why not? And I was like, well, this reason. And she's like, so what? And I was like, and I wanted to cry because it was like, I never followed it that far. I'd never gotten to the, for years of dealing with the issues that I had been dealing with at that point. I had never asked, so what? And I mean, I had asked, so what? And like, it would just like feed back into itself. But like, I never asked, so what? That made me stop. And it took us weeks and months to get to that point. And I will never forget that because that was like a slap in the face. And it was like, no one else, it, you know, other people are invested in you getting better in the sense that they, they don't want to see you suffering. And so if someone was like, you know, if I was telling my mom that or my, my girlfriend that or my friends that, and they would just be like, so what? It would be like, okay, you don't understand. Or like, okay, you just want to see me get better. You know, you're, you don't get where I'm coming from. Whereas when she was like, so what? She's like, I understand everything you're saying. I've been talking to you exclusively about these problems, more or less, for, for weeks. And I am in a position to ask you, so what? And maybe you won't have an answer. And if you don't have an answer, maybe you'll see that that's the whole root of the problem. You don't think that your friends and stuff? No. Don't no. you think that's you just projecting like, oh, they just want me to get better. So no. But they're asking the exact same question. But maybe they, don't, they, are they don't have weeks and months in the back to, to get there. And they don't, the way that they're asking the question, the context that they're asking the question of like, you know, oh, you have... I'm trying to think of a good, like, it would be a lot better if I actually had, could, like, describe the situation, but I don't really want to describe no, the, like, the so situation personal. itself. So I'm trying to think of, like, a good analog of, like, um, let's. Uh, we have to come up with a Yeah, I, I guess, I guess. But, but basically, just, like. I was refusing to do something that would be outright beneficial to me and it it was like no one could understand why I would be doing that thing and uh, she regardless if she understood or not she'd followed my train of logic all the way through completely you know not not angry, not burdened, not judging, not judging at all. And it's like, when you go and talk to your friend, I don't know if you've ever, like, I'm sure you've probably felt sad or depressed or whatever before. And people will be like, oh, you can talk to me about anything. And like, you're hesitant to actually talk to them because you know that they're taking, you're taking their time. And like, you know, I, at the end of the day, you could have followed that thought progression yourself though you could have just asked like did you learn like have, have you applied that to a different part of your life where you have another problem and you can just take it further without judging yourself and just be like so what and then you can take it one step further uh for everything like hey why am i angry when someone cuts me off in traffic like like I've, road rage you cut right there because i'm angry i don't know i don't know if that specific event has helped me with other things in terms of applying that same logic but i know that i'm a much 
better, calmer person now than I was when I first got to Oregon five years ago. Um, so maybe it did. I know that there was one instance where I was having a really hard time getting along with a boss of mine. And, uh, I was like, this is the way he is. And you know, this is the way I am. And basically she was like, well, maybe it's just like, you guys are communicating the same ideas in different ways. And that totally changed my relationship with that boss. Like totally overnight. It was like, wow. Like when he's asking me, like, you know, when he's telling me like, we're going to do this, he's really asking me, do you think we should do this? You know, he respects me as a worker and he wants my opinion, but he's his way of asking is telling. And he knows that if it's important enough, I'll push back. And he, this is a person who is used to not being pushed back against. So that was his way of asking. And I never realized it until, you know, I had that other perspective. And I think it's really easy for someone to just brush off what their friends or family are saying. Your family and friends are sort of like almost like a vent almost where it's like, you know, what you're telling me isn't actually going to help me in the long term. And is that on you? Possibly. But like when you're when you're in a mental health crisis or when you're having mental health issues um, and even that saying the words like mental health issues, like it, it carries such a stigma such to it. A stigma. But like when you're having issues like that, um, it's, it's hard to like take what someone is saying and like uh, everything that my friend is going to tell me as like, a comment I've thought of before. And a lot of people who go to, to therapy, it's like or they'll resist for a long time because it's like, what's the therapist going to tell me that I don't already know? I used to be like that until I had this one therapist that totally changed everything for me. And it's like, I mean, why do you, people who are terminally ill, a lot of times they'll go see a therapist and like an uh, end of life counselor. And it's like, you know, the end of life counselor isn't going to like make you not be dying. But that end of life counselor will has dealt with people who are in your same situation. They haven't dealt with you, but they've dealt with many people and they've gone to school and learned techniques to, you know, to I, why, why would you send someone to a teacher? Why don't you just teach your kid everything yourself? I could just learn out of a textbook how to teach my kid basic math and teach him basic math. I, I guess could... that's, I think we are saying the same thing. I think therapists should be teachers, not, like I think that should be their primary thing is teaching them how, how, how you're maybe misseeing information and how for the rest of your life you can see things differently. Well, well yes, but like. But I think often they're not. Well, I mean, if you're going to a physical therapist and they're teaching you how to like, walk again you you're not going to use that technique to like walk on your hands mm -hmm. like you're going to use that technique to use your feet to walk again yeah. and so when you go to a therapist for an issue with this or that sometimes the techniques that they're teaching you are applicable to other things but other times the techniques that they're teaching you or the th the perception that they're or perspective that they're giving you is isolated to that issue and like you're going in there for a reason and they're trying to treat that reason therapists are doctors psychologists are or psychiatrists are doctors like they doctors have done a bunch of shitty things time and time again doctors prescribe lipitor doctors condone cigarettes doctors are not trusted people in my eyes and doctors absolutely should be because i have not met a doctor who goes into the field 
with no bad intentions. But I think that the, by nature of their education, they're just bought up in propaganda. Of the the a lot of what they learn is super valid. If if you go to a holistic doctor or someone whose immediate thing isn't like I, I've heard someone say, if you're gonna go into surgery, you should speak to a surgeon, and that should be the very last thing they want to do is give you surgery. Yeah. And I think that should be all I doctors' think most, cases. I think most surgeons are like that. Yeah. But uh, I think surgeons get it. Yeah. Well, I think some surgeons are also like, I'm going to prescribe what I know and yeah. I'm going to prescribe surgery because I know I can fix this problem. Mm -hmm. But like, why do you have the recording equipment that you do? Because I made an album. Or, or I, I know, but why this. this equipment? Why this specific equipment? Oh, good point. And yep. it's like, it's the case for everything. It's like you, you probably watched some videos and you saw some people using this equipment or you maybe looked up reviews and you saw that it was good. But how is that any different from like propaganda in and of itself? You know, doctors, they, they learn certain things work more often than they don't. But at the end of the day, a doctor is a human being. That's and so they are, from. they are fallible to the same issues. And I think I, I have several friends who are in the medical field and it, actually causes me great pain to see people talk about doctors as if they aren't worth the shoes that they're standing in because it's like i think they're trying their best i think but that, i think they're just people i with think a little bit more with a lot more knowledge i was gonna say with a Tons lot more knowledge, knowledge. Tons but, the, more knowledge. but the, i mean it's like people think they can go on webmd and diagnose themselves and sometimes that's actually kind of true if you have like a scrape ass, probably just eczema, like wipe some cream on it. But like, there are some cases where doctors are not going to solve the problem for you. That doctor might not have seen a certain thing. There's so many things that can go wrong with the human body. Uh, but just overall, factually, the point that we're in an overprescription epidemic, or like epi not, not that, but you know what I mean? Tons of like, I mean, I went to a doctor with a strep throat and I got 10 double strength Vicodin and I was just like, that's not okay. And then between that and just the fact that, I don't know, I don't think, I think a lot of, of your healing I mean, capabilities don't come from external sources. And unless it's extreme cases such as you need surgery mm -hmm. or some people do need. I think doctors don't have the time and they are so money oriented because they're in debt that they have to pump through patients and they have to be oriented. Like they don't have the time for like, are you breathing properly? Are you getting enough sleep? They can't do all these and things. And I don't know. I don't know how you can say that when there's so many people who are in their like 50s and 60s and are certainly not in debt anymore and they're still doctors and they're still doing this. Maybe it's like, oh, this is what I know. But I don't think that it stems from like doctors, at least when they don't have their own practice, I'm pretty sure doctors get a salary. Like they. And I can kind of see where you would get wh where you are, where it's like, okay, well, the doctors are, are taught in a certain way because like it's all part of the system, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I'm, I'm disinclined to believe that it's all like, you know, everyone is in the drug company's pockets. I went to a doctor and again, anecdotal evidence that I should not be relying on because I'm a scientist and anecdotal evidence is bollocks. But uh, I went to a doctor and I was basically, it was okay for me to get prescribed. I was okay for me to get prescribed like Ritalin or Adderall. And she was super loath to do so. She did not want to do it. And I was like, I want to give it a try. And she's like, I don't want to do this, but like, I will 
but I really don't think it's right. And she was constantly pushing another thing on me instead that was not an amphetamine. It was something else. And it's like she was doing the exact opposite. She was not trying to push. I am by no means saying all doctors. Yeah, I know. I'm never I'm, speaking in absolute. And I'm by no means saying yeah. all doctors. Not all doctors are, are in the right, but I think that it's not right to just like dismiss. To write them all off. To That's write very them, valid. To write off doctors, like doc, the, the nebulous concept of a doctor as just like a pill dispensing machine who doesn't actually care about their patients. I think they don't have their, they, the system that's set up doesn't allow them to care for their patients adequately. And so they're doing to the best of their capabilities to help people is my understanding of the current situation. I think doctors would, I think a patient, you'd pretty much need to talk to a doctor all day for them to get a full understanding. And if you're talking about some super small, like one of your serotonin receptors, like your 5-HTP2B is getting agonized too much in your heart valves, getting a little thing, they could completely just, they don't, they don't know that much. They haven't gone through every single thing. They mm -hmm. don't have the time to. Mm -hmm. And so they could just give you a prescription that's a band-aid over, like an SSRI instead of, they're like, oh, but you're only sleeping three hours a night because you have PTSD and are having nightmares or yeah, something. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely, I definitely see what you're saying, and I just, I don't really see a solution to the problem. I, and I've, I've commented on this before, where it's like, you know, we're always straining for more doctors, and yet our application uh, and our requirements to get into med school are just like obscenely ridiculous. And like, I think that. You know, if you got an A minus once in like your AP or your Calc three class, that shouldn't bar you from going into med school. Like that's, that's point. that seems ridiculous. And so like we're we're at a constant shortage of doctors. And I've asked one before. It's like you know why why don't we just like have more students get into med school? And apparently there's just not enough med schools. Uh, the med schools are, are cram packed and it's expensive. And so these med students get into super debt uh, to go to, as you said, to, they get into ridiculous amounts of debt to go and be a doctor. And I mean, like doctor burnout is a huge thing. Like they put the doctors through absolute hell. And I lived with a surgeon and while he was doing his residency, they were, he told me they had a rule that the resident could not work more. Was it a residency? Is there an internship? I think it was an internship actually, but he was like, you cannot work more than four 80 hour weeks in a row. Can you imagine? Like, that's the rule. Like, you can't work more than four 80 hour weeks in a row. Why? Sh you should not even have a rule for that situation because that situation should not exist ever. But this is what they go Your through. Your surgeon's been chronically sleep deprived, which has been showed, shown to cause more cognitive decline than being drunk. Yeah. And then Isn't they're going to, yeah, that's a, what I'm saying. A that's why I don't have trust in, I don't have trust in the system. Like, I think the individuals have the best intentions. The system is causing them to not be able to I help. think it's an interesting point, And this is going to be something that okay. I think about later. As a side note, there's something that I was thinking about on the way here where I was like, uh, a lot of people, when marijuana was becoming legal in certain states, a lot of people were like, oh, it shouldn't be legal because we should, we can't test if people are on it while they're driving, the same way that we can like breathalyze someone yeah. with alcohol. And I was just like, 
you can't test someone for being tired either. Like, and holy cow, is driving exhausted so much more dangerous. So much my more dangerous. My dad, I've, there have been many times where I've been, my dad, he drinks pretty much every night. He'll have like a beer or two. Uh, and sometimes I'll be talking to him. He gets up at like 6 a.m. every day, 5.30, 6 a.m., drives an hour down to Detroit, works like 10 hours, 12 hours, drives an hour back comes home eats dinner cracks a beer or two and it's like 8 30 or 9 and i'm talking to him and he's like loopy and you know acting silly and it's like you know how many beers have you had he's like i've had one and it's like he's just exhausted and it's so easy to mistake one for the other i i pulled an all-nighter I pulled many all-nighters in undergrad, but I put, I didn't drive. I, I was walking and I was walking from my apartment to class to drop off the homework that I had pulled an all-nighter to do. And I remember a car drove by on the road and I like watched the car drive by. And then a second later, like a full second passed before I processed like car on road like i was and it was very very strange because it was like i was absorbing the information visually but i wasn't interpreting the information like at all and so like there was a huge lag in that i don't know mental yeah blah 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 this is i don't know we're out of time all right but but i'm gonna have you back where we can continue all this it sounds great ask your questions why i love being here all right Uh, if you have if you have a pitch you want people to whatever want to see your work or anything uh, I will say real quick, we've talked a lot about nuclear and stuff and you've asked about nuclear energy and this and that. And my biggest thing about pitching nuclear in general is that nuclear is not just energy and it's not just weapons. It's not just meltdowns and so on. I work with radiation detectors and we didn't talk like at all about this. And most people don't even realize that radiation detectors ex- like is a thing. Like I'm a nuclear engineer. Whoa, you work with bombs and... Re- no, I work with radiation detectors. Oh, what's that? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, times people don't even like ask what's that because it's just like that seems really weird. It's a totally huge field out there and it's not just bombs and reactors. And I wish that more people knew, you know, it would be like judging mechanical engineers for only building tires for cars. It's like there's so much more. Yeah. So... Uh, not just not just weapons, not just reactors. There's a there's a lot out there in my field that I would love to share with people, and I wish that they would be interested in. Uh, and we do good work, so yeah. All right, I like that. Like, subscribe, share, go do whatever with your life. Take care, everyone.